Today, You Talking You 2 to Me is sponsored by our friends over at Bonobos. You can't spell Bonobos without Bono. That's right. Bonobos is a men's apparel brand that has everything from wash chinos, denim, sweaters, and casual shirts to suits, dress shirts, blazers. I promise your threads will fit you better and feel more comfortable than anything you have ever worn before. So go to Bonobos.com. That's B-O-N-O-B-O-S.com. On top of everything else, you get a special deal. Use the code EDGE to get a 20% off deal, along with that free shipping and the great customer service as always. So log on to B-O-N-O-B-O-S.com for better-fitting men's clothes. From boy to boots, getting them on, that is. This is you talking you two to me? The comprehensive and encyclopedic compendium of all things you two. This is good rock and roll uh, music. Welcome to the show. Uh, another week. This is our, our fourth episode. Um if you have heard the previous episodes, uh, lots happened since the last two. By the way, let me introduce myself. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts. I am uh, Scott Ackerman from the Comedy Bang Bang podcast and TV show. Sitting across the table from me, star of stage, star of screen. Only those two things, I think, but that covers it pretty well. I don't know. Screens? Your Floors. Floors. Star of floors. You do a lot of just lying on floors? Just you're run-of-the-mill floor work. Okay. You know him from Parks and Recreation. You know him from a movie I saw once. Please welcome Adam Scott. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Scott. Uh, yes, Scott. Here's something. Yeah. I feel like since the last time I saw you. Mm-hmm. Which, which, by the way, was three and a half years ago was when we. Three and a half years. We taped the last one. You've grown a beard. I have grown a beard, yes. How did you grow a beard so fast? Uh, for over three and a half years? Yeah. I know, it's it's quick, but I, I did it, yeah. No, but really, it's only been like three weeks. Has it been three weeks? No, didn't we just tape one? <laughs> did we? <laughs> I think we did. <laughs> Since the new year. Yes, we yes, did. Yes, we, we did. did. Remember, do you remember the guy who was on the last episode, uh, Harris Whittles? Do you, oh, what a do you remember shit. him? He used yeah. to work on that show, Parks and Rec, Oh, with he's you. been fired. Yeah. He. Oh, my God. He, remember him, though? He was like, yeah. like kind of short yeah. and like sort of a smart ass. And But everything he said, it was like everything he said was devoid of substance. <laughs> yeah. It's like he made a career and a life out of that, not yeah. just a career, like everything he says. Yeah. And, and then in general. It was like right after he passed away, I was thinking like, <laughs> God, what am I going to say about Harris? Oh, because you had to speak at the funeral. Yeah, well, I was it was I was the main speaker, right, right. Um, and I was like, maybe I just won't go. Oh, it, like that would be a nice burn on Harris. That'd be a, yeah, for all the a shit he burn. said about you too. Yeah, remember all that shit he said about them? I do. Yeah, I'm glad he's gone. I just rem- <laughs> yeah, I remember just getting genuinely annoyed with him <laughs> criticizing you too. But by the end, he liked it. 
Yeah, he said it was, it his, was favorite his favorite band. band. <laughs> I think he just wanted to get get out of here. <laughs> yeah, you may have. Um, welcome back. Yeah, I have grown a beard. Um, we are but really. It's only been a couple of weeks, and you grew a beard. Yeah, I think it was it was on the rise for the past month and a half or so. Um, just about to shoot. At this point, you're listening to it. We've already been shooting, but we're just about to shoot the Comedy Bang Bang TV show, and I'm about to take it all off. Nice. So, yeah, you got to shave that shave that off. You ever grow a beard? I mean, I know you had a fake one in Walter Mitty, or was that a real one? Sure. I, You know, I grew a beard. I you're had, listening to you talking you two to me. I, I had a beard uh, up until Sunday night. I don't know if you watched the Golden Globes telecast, but um, there was a shot of me, I think it lasted, um, a quarter of a second. Mm. And if you caught that, a fitting tribute, but it wasn't just of me, it was several people and I was kind of in the background, but if you saw, um, you probably saw my beard, it was somewhat full Mm. and, uh, and the next morning, I I got rid of it. And was that because of shooting your own self, or or just you were sick of having such a great, wonderful beard? Shooting my own self, meaning you were shooting Parks and Rec? Oh, sure, yeah. You know, I had to take it off for the for the television show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's nice to grow a beard when oh, you're yeah, no- and it's nice to take it off. <laughs> Look, it's a free country. You hey, can. I'm not going to get in the way between you and your beard. You know what I mean? Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I'm just glad we live in it. Can we talk about just like... Let's talk about this country for a bit. Yeah. yeah. Glad we live in a country where, listen, I want to grow a beard. I can grow a beard. Give me a few weeks. Uh, There's not a man with a gun sitting there saying... No. Don't grow your beard. Don't grow beard. <laughs> no, n- not one person Not said one that. man. No. I mean, yes... Some people said, don't grow a beard. Oh, yeah. A bunch of people said, don't grow a beard. But they or did, that beard looks shitty. They didn't have an accent. No, nor a gun. Well, some of them may have had gun. Two of them had guns. Yeah, concealed. Yeah. That's what I really want to talk about is the concealed weapon laws. Let's loosen them up, you know? like You mean you want less laws about concealed? Yes. Yeah. You know? Or just like one blanket law of like, do what you will. I think that's a great idea. You know what I mean? Like, how about, like, five... How many can you actually carry? If you have a concealed weapon permit, is it just one? Or can you have, like, five of them on you? You can carry, like, 19. Oh, I love it. I love it. By the way, you're listening to You Talking You Two to Me. Uh We... I'm glad that you mentioned the Golden Globes. Yeah. Because I love show business. I know that. That's why I brought it up. Anyway... We're talking you two. Oh, so you're moving on from that subject. <laughs> I just love. Oh, you show just love business. it being mentioned. Yeah, I just love it. It reminds me of this business that we're in. And do you ever think that I, I did want to uh, ask the business of show? Yes, I did want to ask you this because I was listening to one of our previous shows recently, jerking it, and mm-hmm. uh, we talked about how you, when you were a little boy, the the show business wagons came to town. Mm-hmm. And the Lost Boys was filmed. Oh yeah, Jason Patrick was there. You do you remember those days? Were did it inspire you to become an actor? Did were you like, oh, acting is right next door to me? I could do this. Mm-hmm. Scott, you know, I uh, I have a multifaceted answer. Uh-huh, if, uh-huh. Uh huh. If that's okay. Uh-huh. Um, I. 
I tend to speak in parallels when yeah. I talk about my love of acting and when the bug first bit me. <laughs> uh, you know, I think uh, if I was going to speak uh, of just kind of – can we just talk about inspiration? Oh, yes. Let's talk about that, an actor's inspiration. Inspiration, I think, is, you know, you open a window, you look outside, you look mm. around. and mm. What do you see? Like really no like what Scott, do you really Scott, see? Scott, shut up for a second. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, just what do you see? Well, I mean, are you are you can I can I talk talk right go now? Go ahead. Is it okay, I just don't want to be told to shut up again. I mean just go ahead. Okay. Uh well I usually outside a window there's usually a branch and, and What uh, I see oh. is the world. Oh god, he's okay. I see the world. Oh, is he, 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 and he, you know what's looking right back at me? He wasn't listening to what I was seeing. Scott? Oh, yeah, yeah, wait, yeah. You know what's looking right back at me? What's a, a bird in the tree that I saw? Scott, if you're not going to at least try. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I apologize. I, I just may as well I stop literally talking. thought maybe a bird was looking back at you. I'm sorry. Birds, what, birds don't look at people and think, oh, there's a person. They don't have real thoughts. Do they just see shapes, you think? It's or? all instinct with birds. Um, so they just see a thing and they, they act on that instinct and they just... Yeah, like I want to peck that thing. I hmm. want to I want to peck that guy's balls out. Sometimes birds... Listen, sometimes yeah. birds... You have to tell me to listen. I am riveted at this point. Birds... Can we talk about birds? You don't even have to ask my permission. I mean, I would love to talk about birds at length. Okay, first of all, birds fly. We all know birds, birds fly. Birds fly. They fly through the air. Tweet, they, tweet, sometimes they, they say. They land. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, they build nests. Yes. Now, you think about us, us human beings, people. We don't fly, but Mm-mm. we are blessed. Sometimes we tweet. <laughs> you know, that's a Twitter joke. All right, I'm just going to go. Wait, Adam, come on. I'm I'm actually considering leaving. <laughs> you are why? Because you, you just kind of like pulled me right back into the world of technology. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, get, uh, Twitter doesn't exist. Birds, human beings, we're like birds. We don't fly physically through the air, but no. we, if we want to, and if we choose to, we soar mm-hmm. with our imaginations. That's right. Uh, spiritually, if you mm-hmm. will, you're uh, a spiritual guy. A spir- not religious, spiritual. Yeah. Um, you don't believe in a like a guy up in the clouds no, with no, a, no, no, no. You know, yeah, maybe he lives in the clouds. Yeah, sure. And maybe he has a white beard. And and there's you know ample evidence that there's a society of people who live uh inside the clouds. Yeah, ruled by one man with a big white beard. Yes, but I'm not I'm not religious or yeah, I'm just No, no. I'm spiritual. Yes, you believe in religion. Yes, I, I'm a follower of Christianity. And God who lives in the clouds with yes, the white beard. which I believe in deeply. Yes. But it's not like I believe in a man up in the sky with a big white beard. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's not, just, a, a spiritual really, guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah I get it. I get it. You talking you two to me. And Adam, uh, 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 oh, God, I had Are something. Are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> something, I can't remember what it is. You were in the aviator speaking about soaring through the clouds. Sure, yeah. Thanks for bringing it uh, back to that. Yeah, you were uh, the uh, the titular character, the aviator. No, 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 no. The aviator himself across no. the table from me. No, 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 no. Did you see? 
I mean, I I imagined it. I imagine I like sure. when I think of the aviator, I think of you flapping your wings really hard and yeah. you floating about like one foot off the ground, and you know that reminds me of this whole theory I have about birds mm. and what we have, as uh, humankind have in common with birds. Mm-hmm. You know what I was wondering about birds? You mentioned it. A lot of them make nests. Sure, but aren't the smarter birds the one that make the ones that make the bird houses? You know what I mean? Yeah. The, w- what I've found is the really intelligent birds make square birds' nests. <laughs> but the ones that actually make those birdhouses. Oh, that the you bird see, houses, yes. Those, those are, the, are the smartest birds. The incredibly advanced birds. Yeah. You know, it's like, hey, birds making nests, come on, do a little better. Yeah. You're not going to see a pigeon making a birdhouse. Yeah, a exactly. cockatoo, maybe. Hey. A cock or two? (laughs) Adam, we got to talk about it. The Golden Globes, you mentioned it. But let's uh, let's set the scene because I know this is coming out at some point in the future. We are taping this literally days after the Golden Globes. If you can believe it. Yes, days have transpired since the Golden Globes and we are doing something a few days later. That's true. I don't know if you can believe it. but I can't believe we've all recovered. Oh, my gosh. How did you feel when Parks and Recreation... Did you guys win or did you lose? I can't remember. (laughs) Uh, We lost. Oh, you lost? Yeah. Okay, we'll talk about it. But um, you had a whirlwind of a weekend. And let me just tell the listeners, Adam was... Just lockstep right there with me, keeping me informed about I really was. that was happening. I really was. <laughs> he, 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 I was receiving some furious emails really was. over the weekend. All right. Take me back through it, okay? Um, Saturday. Now, we all know the Golden Globes are on Sunday. Okay, yes. that everyone who follows show business knows that. Sunday is Golden Globes Day. Snubs. Flubs. Who's going to get the golden man? Who's going to go home a loser? We all know that happens on a Sunday. But Saturday, what a lot of people who are not in show business don't know is because the Golden Globes are happening, there are so many stars in L.A. at that point. The stars are bright in the heavens, not only in the heavens, but they're in Hollywood. And a lot of people hold events on the day before the Golden Globe. Sure. Because they know they can get big stars to be there. Sure. So, tell me what happened the Saturday before the Golden Globes. So, I went to a a uh, charity dinner. Stop right there. Yep. How does and this is and I, this is a real question for me. I really want to know. How do you go to a charity dinner? Do you get invited to a charity dinner i.e. or do I just show up? <clears throat> no, what I mean is do do you get invited like, hey, come bring some wattage. We need some wattage to this charity dinner. Right. Come for free. We need wattage. Right. We need an Adam Scott. Just come just come by. Right. Or do you get an invite to this thing? It's a what, fifteen hundred? How much how much were the tickets? Per plate. To say it per plate, not just for a seat. The, the, there was no uh, per plate fee. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't doing it per plate? There was no It was per by plate the chair? Fee. It was no. It was per um, footprint because it was per it, footprint. Yeah, per foot. It had you had to pay a fee per. So like, if you only had a leg, mm. you paid a different price than a person that God, had two those legs. People without legs, they got in for free. That's a racket. Okay, 
Okay, so you have two footprints. No, there there was no. It wasn't a. Uh, there I, there was no fee for a ticket. Okay, so you it just was get a, invited to a dinner, and then and you you're go expected to reach into that pocketbook, though. Am yes, I right? because they had an auction, and so okay. you you know. So we'll get to how much you spent on the auction, how much you paid. <laughs> Do you want to give us a little preview of that before we actually get into detail, or <laughs> no? <laughs> so you're invited to this thing. Do you know anyone who's going, or is this the kind of thing where it's like you you look to your wife and you're like, I don't I don't know if we'll know anyone there. Let's just go. Or did you know? You know, it was it's um it's Sean Penn's organization, the JPHRO organization, Jerpo. the the JP Haitian Relief Organization. Okay, so I knew that it was a. A, um, you knew Sean would be there, right? I knew it was your a, Walter uh, Mitty co-star. A dinner for Haitian relief, which mm-hmm. is, of course, a worthy cause. Sure, but I mean, I but can I imagine. don't really know Sean. I mean, I met him, and and you guys hung out really... at the Mitty after party, probably. Sure. But then I got invited to this, and I thought, well, great, yes, I would. Sean it's, wants it's a... to deepen his relationship. I don't think he was probably even aware that I was being invited. I'm sure, you know, I just... He just took it as a given, Adam's going to be there. <laughs> yeah. And we're um, going to bro out. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So, anyway, so for one reason or another, somehow I got invited to it, which is terrific, and was happy to go, and um, uh, hopefully, you know... Uh, Did you know anyone you were at the table with? No, I didn't. No. Did you know anyone there? Yeah, we ran into people we knew there. Okay, so there's some. You don't want to drop any names at all. No, the you know the people we knew there were. um, Oh, Sarah Silverman was there. Oh, okay, so that's good. So that's above the line, right there. But But also a a bunch of our friends from below the line school. Okay, (laughs) were there. Don't worry. Yeah, it was actually a very nice party. Okay, sure. But there were uh, there was also a lot of wattage. My wattage was eclipsed, completely irrelevant. What? Because they had a lot of wattage in this room. Okay, so a lot of watts, and you're major watts. <laughs> okay, like wattage on legs walking mm. around. So you're sitting there. What is uh, what is the expectation of the night? Is there a stage? Is there a podium? Is there a dais? There's a podium. Is there what they call a hot seat in a roast? There's a podium, and Anderson Cooper was hosting the evening. It was he did a wonderful job. And Sean Penn would hop up every once in a while and and talk a little bit. They would show documentary footage about Haiti and what's going on there right now and where they are in the recovery effort. It was a whole evening of this, and then they had an auction. Mm-hmm. But, so sounds pretty boring up till <laughs> up till now. But what happened before the auction uh, started was what when I started furiously emailing you because this um, this woman Anel Jean Pierre came out. She's Wait, a hate she, anal who <laughs> Anel Jean Pierre. No, so it, Anel. We decided her. We, we, there, we had a big discussion yeah, about how to pronounce, to the show it. About how to pronounce it. Her name is Anel. Anel. And she came out. No. Anel. <laughs> she, the, 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 what this woman has been through. Yes. To get to uh, Beverly Hills. Um, we, Traffic we, we, in we, California. Yeah. We just can't call her anal. <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> She got up on stage and sang, was singing Hallelujah 
mm-hmm. which was very beautiful. The Leonard Cohen classic. Yes. But then um, a gu- then from backstage, a guitar started playing, and out came the Edge and Bono. Th- who, by the way, listeners of this show, we mentioned this is going to be a comprehensive compendium of information about you 2 They are members of U2. They are the guitarist and singer. The guitarist and singer for U2. Um, the band U2. The band U2. A lot, but they're, they're not the only people in the band. No, they're uh, 50%, I would say, yes. of the band. Um, the other members uh, play drums and bass. Mm-hmm. Uh, the drummer is Larry Mullen Jr. Mm-hmm. Son of Larry Mullen Sr. We assume. The bass player mm-hmm. is... The spiritual heart of the band. Yes. Um, his name is Adam Clayton. Adam Clayton. He plays bass. Sure, the bass guitar. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, there we go. I wonder if, if anyone ever calls him, like, as a nickname, like, uh, Adam Clay 2000 Pounds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Maybe, uh, maybe if he had a couple extra slices of pizza, uh, <laughs> some of the other guys would rib him a little bit with yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so the, the Bono and so the, Edge. So they come out and they sang Hallelujah, um... And it was very exciting, and that's when I took a picture of this TV screen that was near our table and sent it to you. And I was like, "Look who just walked out!" Mm-hmm. We had no idea that there would that they were gonna. You play. you didn't see them in the crowd. You Nothing. no one ever hyped that. No. Uh, you know, and there's a special someone backstage. No, I mean, I think it said and musical guest. Oh, okay. And, but we had no idea. Musical guest. And I think we had just recorded an episode of this, um, like, a couple days before. Yeah. We had just been talking about, hey, we hope to run into Bono somewhere. So guess what? It was pretty, pretty serendipitous. Yeah. That they came out and played this song. Pretty amazing. So you you text or you emailed to me, look who's playing 30 feet from me. Yes. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And and then you said, should I run up on stage and ask him to do our podcast? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and I said be it would be pretty weird if you didn't. Yeah, you said yeah, that's exactly what you said. <laughs> so then they go, and then the auction starts, and we're told, hey. Stick around because after the auction, just trust us. It, it'll be worth it if you mm-hmm. stick around. Musical guest. Not thinking it would be you too because those guys already they came already out. Played, yeah. And the end of the auction would be three hours later. And they're three prop- hours is how long the auction takes. No, but there was other speeches and okay. it was two or three hours later. Wow. Yeah, that's a, a long break it, in it, between. It was sets. a long evening. Yeah. So then the auction ends. And what were you thinking in your mind? Were you thinking it's maybe was, it's bigger than you two? No, I was I wasn't sure. I didn't think it would be you two just because I just didn't think it would be. I didn't know what it would be, but I we figured we would stick around and find out. Mm-hmm. And then the auction ends, and then they um, Sean Penn and Anderson Cooper came out and introduced and said. Ladies and gentlemen, you too. And then the whole band came out and mm. plugged in. And uh, my wife, Naomi, and I hopped up and just ran right up to the stage, which was really only a few feet away. Like, I guess it was like 
20 feet away or something and we everybody stood up and just went up there it was only like 200 people in the room right and they and they came out and plugged in and played three songs it was pretty great and they Amazing. were like literally where where the the wall is adam is pointing away. at a wall that's about 300 feet away i don't know why it's <laughs> <That's right>. but <laughs> no i'm talking about the wall uh, of the man chinese theater oh yeah yeah which yeah. is quite a few blocks away yeah, yeah. Um, which three songs did they play? May I ask you that? Thank you for asking. Uh, yes. They played, um, Let's Go Dancing. They played, I'm on top of the stove. And then the, they, then they stopped and I saw them talking to each other and they're like, okay, let's play one more. And they actually like, Mm -hmm. I was, and I turned to Naomi, I said, they're actually deciding to play another song. Wow. This is like an extra. And then they played, uh, Put it on top. I'm going dancing on the stove. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Yep. Oh, I can't believe it. What a what a night. It what was a, a treat. It was a treat. Um, it was a lot like uh, I don't know if uh, and you have uh, kids. Kid, you, how many uh, how many little ones do you have? Seven kids. Seven kids. You have seven kids, so you know about Halloween. Okay. Sure. And yeah, what, it's in, wh- it's in uh, uh, October. Og- October. So October. October 31st. No, a, it's uh, O-G-K-G-G-Y. Chi. <laughs> so <laughs> October 31st, there's this thing, Halloween. Yeah, uh, and the night of ghouls. Yes, All Hallows' Eve. And <laughs> there's this thing, I don't know. You By have the seven, way, you're listening. <laughs> you talking you too to me. You, you know that there's a tradition on... Halloween where uh, you get either tricks, and that's a lot of what Halloween is, just sure. people tricking each other. Pranking. But every once in a while, you get a treat. Oh, sure. Like, like a, a uh, bite-sized Reese, candy. Uh, Reese's peanut butter. Cup. Sure, sure, sure. And that's what you're talking about. This was a treat. It was. Thanks. That is- <laughs> thank you for taking the short way. <laughs> that is the best analogy was, I can think of. It was great. <laughs> yes. Um, they played... They came out and played Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Then they played- Jimmy Stewart. They played Desire, mm-hmm. which, hey. Hey, these are two things that people can have, Vertigo and Desire. Absolutely. So they're speaking to human beings. Those also are two things you can give, Scott. <laughs> and then they played I Will Follow. I Will Follow. Yes, and, and I you took know what? video on my phone of you took some video of part of Desire, and I was going to send it to you, but then I but felt that, like after the last email I sent you, I didn't hear hear back that night, and so I thought, am I too excited about this? No, no. I will say I went to bed early. Yeah. So I th- I think that uh, and I never sent the video to you. That that is a mistake. I would you cannot be too excited about it. I would have loved to have seen. Okay. That. I just went to bed, I think, uh, previous to your last email. Sure. And I woke up excited to say, ooh, I wonder if Adam sent me any more emails. you a photo of the four guys playing? Yes, you okay. did send that. And that's what I got when I woke up that morning. I was like, ooh, I hope Adam sent some, some more stuff. And I got that photo when I woke up. All jocking aside, I <laughs> um, was very excited. Mm-hmm. Very, very excited. How was your wife? Was she? She was great. On the way to the dinner... Um, because we were like, geez, we're not, I mean, it's nice that we got invited, but we're not going to know anyone. You know, mm-hmm. we'll know Sean, to, of course. We'll <laughs> talk about Mitty. <laughs> <Yeah>. and, <laughs> um, and, uh, 
and she she actually said, I I bet you two's gonna play. Like she what? somehow put yeah. And and I just thought that was not going to happen mm-hmm. and um, crazy, but she she was uh, she was correct. But anyway, during the thing, she was cool because she knew that this would uh, make me very excited. Yes. Well, that's what marriage is all about. It's sometimes. about letting the other one get excited every once in a while. Yeah, and then like condescendingly looking at them and going, "Oh, how cute." That's pretty much what was happening. Um, but well, it was great to see them playing uh, w- that close and without any sort of any, any stagecraft or anything. They're any just kind, no lights nothing. flashing or anything, and, and no kind of like I'm sure they uh, they had amplifiers, probably a distortion pedal or two, yeah. but none of the normal accoutrement nothing. of like backing tracks or. It was like you know what? It was like seeing them in a garage or something, oh. except it was in a hotel in Beverly Hills. <laughs> um, but they were they were they sounded great. Mm. Um, and, uh, and you know what? I will follow. No one could follow them that night. Adam, this we, have, has been... <laughs> we have to take a break, actually, and I want to get to what happened on Sunday. What happened on Sunday? Well, we'll talk about it. Uh, we have to take a little break. You are listening to You Talking You Two to Me with Scott and Scott. We'll be right back after these messages. Guys, you have to admit, Earwolf, the network we're on, they've got some great shows. Earwolf has opened its doors once again to one of my favorite shows, me personally, Scott Ackerman, Topics! That's right, Topics with longtime friends and creative comedic collaborators from the state, Michael Ian Black and Michael Showalter. Yeah! This is a funny show. This is one of my favorite shows. They joined Earwolf on February 11th. Topics tackle some of mankind's most difficult questions. What is the nature of love? Is time travel possible or ethical? Does God exist? And so many more. As if the promise of the kings of comedy, Michael Ian Black and Showalter wasn't enough, the show will also have original music by Dan Deacon. Dan Deacon? That's crazy. You're going to love this show. Topics is on Earwolf now. Find out more at earwolf.com slash topics. Welcome back. You talking you two to me? Are you talking you two to me? You talking you two to me? Ah, the famous impressions of Adam Scott. Welcome back. This is Scott Ackerman here with Adam Scott. And we talked at length about this Haiti benefit that uh, Adam was at and saw you two and... uh, like seeing him in a tiny club with 200 people and you were right up at the front. Yeah. You could have you could have run up on stage and asked him to do the podcast, but you didn't. I should have run up on stage and asked him for a t-shirt. That's what we really want. Uh, fucking t-shirt. <laughs> okay, so then Sunday rolls around. We've covered Saturday extensively. Then Sunday rolls around. We got the Globes, baby, and guess who's there? Guess who's going? Guess who's putting on the monkey suit? Guess who has two index fingers and is pointing at himself? That guy. Yeah, I I I I went and uh, and uh, it was pretty uneventful actually. I had never been, but it it wasn't. You'd uh, never been? That's a little uh, <laughs> that's a little pun because you play Ben yeah. on Parks and Recreation, that's... which is the show. That you were uh, uh, going for. So yes. That's, 
The show that you were cast in that was up for an award. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, yes, we went and... Uh, I didn't think we would win anyway, and then we didn't, but it was still fun. By the way, this is a big weekend out for you and the wife, right? Was your wife there with you uh, uh, at the Golden Globes? Yes. So this is like a lot of sitter time. Yes. For your seven kids. Yep. You know, Do you pay by the kid to the sitter? Yeah, or we is have it... seven babysitters. Oh, boy. Yeah. Because you don't want pretty. any of them not to get the real attention that they need. That's correct. Yeah. So what a what a weekend out. Was this like a weekend that you guys were like excited about? Like, oh boy, we get two amazing events. Or this is just what you do every weekend. Is you know what's great? Life? You know what's great about living in, uh, I call it Holly Weird uh, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> what's great is when a weekend rolls around and it's uh, razzle-dazzle award season, you never know what's going to happen. Boy, isn't that uh, the truth? So then the GGs come up and uh, <laughs> the Allens. Yeah, you throw on the old, as you said, the monkey suit. Yeah, uh, you hop in the old, in the old, the old, the old uh, limbo. <laughs> All right, the brosine. <laughs> Jump on over the BH Hills and. Uh, uh. And uh, you know, get in the Hilton, and uh, yeah. go up and try and get some hardware. Yeah, exactly. Know? Now, this was this at the same venue as the the thing the the night before? No, that was somewhere else. Oh, somewhere. Okay, so two, but two hotels in Beverly Hills. That's true. You ever think about that? You're a little boy growing up in Santa Cruz. You're uh-huh. you're you know you're a little boy, but you're also a big boy. You know what I mean? You're like in between. You're in that in between sure. state. Yeah. You know you're a big boy, but you still like have little boy dreams. Uh-huh. And did you ever think, wow, one day I'm going to spend two consecutive days in two consecutive Beverly Hills hotel rooms? Never once did I think that would happen. I mean, I always wanted that to happen. I want to spend a, an entire weekend in a hotel in two different hotel ballrooms. I know I'm a little boy and I shouldn't have big boy dreams yet, but at the same time, I'm on the cusp and I'm about to be a big boy and yeah. I can have big boy dreams. And these are my big boy dreams, and I can't embrace them quite yet because I'm still a little boy. But at some point, I always thought when I was a big man, mm-hmm. maybe I would get to spend two nights in two different sure. Beverly Hills. Everyone does that before they die, right? But yeah, gosh, amazing! What I mean, what what an amazing confluence of events to bring you to those two hotel rooms. Yep, and hotel spe- ballrooms. Ballrooms. And speaking of two, you two is the band that we are talking about exclusively on this podcast. That's all we're talking about. <laughs> yes. So um, you're there for the GGs, which yeah. uh, cover both television and film. And by yeah. the way, is uh, at some point we should get to, uh, um, you know, I Love Films, our, our other podcast. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, you're there. You didn't win. But you know who does win is the woman with whom you share – Yes. That screen. Very, very happy moment. For her. Yes. You weren't nominated, so you were a little jealous. I I felt um, pretty neutral about the whole (laughs) whole thing. (laughs) Um, No, we were all super excited. We all jumped up and screamed. Mm -hmm. We jumped up in the air and froze in the air for her her entire speech. Yeah. (laughs) We were up. Levitating the entire cast. Just uh, when you're that happy, oh, you, you don't want to come. No, down. No, you don't come down. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was very, very. 
So she Exciting. she wins, but I think we're we're bearing the lead if I am even saying that expression or using it correctly. Um, because she wins, and and who is there at the GGS? But our old friends, the lads from Liverpool, you two, because they are nominated for a GG. Yeah. For their song about what was his name? Uatu? What was it? N- Nelson Mandela. That's right. And they're nominated for this song, uh, and they win. And yes. they get to go up there on that stage yes. and have the spotlight shine upon them. Yes. And they In win. traditional Hollywood fashion. <laughs> yes. So I see that. Yeah. I see them win, and I'm like, Adam has an in there. He's, he's at the GGs. He's, you know, they're both like sort of nomina- nominated in a way. I mean, you're not nominated, but uh, the show you work for is. Well, the show I'm on was nominated. So but in a te- way, technically, I Technically, though, you're not. I well, mean, like if the show won, you wouldn't even get a, a statue. Well, but I would have accompanied the people who get the statues up onto the stage. Sure, but I mean, that's not. I mean, you wouldn't have taken home anything. You know what I mean? I would have taken home some wonderful memories. I guess so. But you still took home some wonderful and let's memories. let's be honest, a bit of a career boost. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> but uh okay, so you two wins and I Are you th- wondering what was going through my mind when they were up on the stage? Yes, and I yes, and I believe I texted you, I can't remember, but something about like you're there, you have to talk to them now. Well, I didn't feel that way, but I will say I will say that when they won, I was sitting next to Nick Offerman and they went through all the nominees of who was, you know, for all the best songs. And Taylor Swift. You know, the television section is kind of separate from the movie section. Like, yeah. we're kind of elevated up and behind the yeah. film section. Far away. So you can't really see. You're relatively close in the room, but you can't really see who's down there. So I don't think I had even seen you 2 yet that mm-hmm. evening, even though it, it it's like two hours in and they were probably only like, you know, 30 feet away from us or something. But mm-hmm. they win and... They go through all the nominees. They announce that they win, and those and the four guys stand up, and so we can see them. and And Nick Offerman uh, just says, "Well, it's hard to beat them," <laughs> <laughs> or something, uh, uh, something like that, or something about wood, which I think is 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 uh, well put. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's so well put, you remembered it. In exact detail. <laughs> <laughs> I approximately remembered it. <laughs> so they win. But I, I will say that when it happened, I, I had say, absolutely yes. no idea it would make such a great story. Yeah. Well, they won. And then, and I, I think I was texting you like, dude, talk to him. Talk to him. Get that t-shirt. Yeah, Let's get, get the fucking t-shirts, bro. And then what happens, but Amy, the winner, she wins for her category. Yes. She is getting what I call a back rub. Yes. By the man himself, the Bono. Yes. The Bono is sitting there rubbing her back while it cuts to her in the crowd. Yes. On the where they read her name out as one of the nominees. Yes. She wins. She leans back, plants a full on smooch on him. Yes. The likes of which I have not seen. Since uh, a movie like Wild Things, it was so hot and erotic. Like, were you like, whoa, is that that Nev Campbell and Denise Richards down there? Or is that Amy Poehler and Bono? (laughs) They're indistinguishable. 
she plants one on him, and I am thinking, Adam. She puts one right on his kisser. Yes, the thing he with which he kisses. And I'm thinking, Adam, this is it. You Th- got your in. When, that's when you need to go down there and ask him to be on the you podcast. You got your in. Amy's hanging out with him. Right. Amy's kissing him. Right. She can really easily be like, oh, by the way, this is my TV boyfriend. Yeah. Do his podcast, and Bono has to, right? Because she just won the award. She's, you know, being honored. See, that's an opportunity I missed. What's going on? What happened? What well, happened? Um, I thought maybe, just maybe, Scott. Mm-hmm. Maybe this was her moment, and it's not all about us and our podcast. I mean, sure, this is incredibly important, and sure, millions of people are going to be listening to this. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But maybe that wasn't the moment. Maybe I sacrifice a little something and uh, let let her have let, her time. Let Bono have the spotlight for once. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Did, I mean, did you see her after that? What is Amy like? Does she just like she once they all cut, she doesn't talk to you anymore, or like have you actually talked to her uh, on a personal level since this happened? Listen, Amy and I have worked together for a while now, mm-hmm. a few years. I feel like we're getting close to that. We're getting closer to the moment where I feel like we're going to break into a, a conversation of some sort. A convo. Like, like off camera. Because mm-hmm. on camera, we have all sorts of dialogue. And No, I've seen the show, and you have a lot of dialogue with each other where you're having – Convos, well, we, we, as we called them just a, moments ago. Yeah, just like short for conversation. We have yeah. convos. Um, I mean, our two characters on the show are now married. We have this whole mm-hmm. relationship. So I feel like we're getting closer to she and I touching base mm. and um, kind of a meeting of the minds in, okay. a, in a sense and getting a conversation, getting our own convo Started, sure, yeah, um, and I'm looking forward to that. I think that's, uh, I think that's a uh, something that's uh, down the road a bit, but right. I think it's going to happen. All right. Well, maybe the first thing you say to her can be like, "Hey, do you think that guy you kissed, you could maybe get him to come to the Earwolf Studios?" And- See, Scott, that's not the first thing I'm going to mention, just because uh, a convo um, is going to, you know, th- there's a certain warming up period in a convo. Okay, so it's like, going to happen. During that first conversation, it's okay. just not the first thing I'm going to say. Maybe throw a how are you, by the way, that guy you kissed. Exactly, something like that. Okay. Like, look at the sun. By the way, uh, you know, yeah. what about some t-shirts? That's all I'm asking for. Right. That's all I'm asking for. Okay, well, silly me, I thought that maybe at the governor's ball afterwards, Bono would have been hanging around the bar and you would have went up to him and, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, th- I didn't know that I was doing this podcast with a coward. That's all I wanted to say. Scott, you obviously don't know how Hollywood works. Mm, maybe that's true. I'm not being invited to these things. And um, I don't mean any offense by this. Mm-hmm. No, none taken so far. Uh, but you're, you're being a cunt. Hmm. Maybe a little offense taken i mean i can feel my offense meter rising just a little bit you know oh i can see the meter going up as well yeah i'm sorry um you know what i mean 
I think that word, uh, you know, is kind I of... I didn't mean any it, offense by it's it like, at all. like, why do you have to use a word that can only be used against women for me? You know what I mean? It's like, could you use a gender-neutral word, you know, and maybe we can have a real conversation? The other thing is, is if you curse, it just gives me an excuse not to listen to what you're truly saying. Okay. I apologize if okay. I offended you. I'm not apologizing for what I said. For the content. I'm just saying I'm apologizing if you were offended. <laughs> okay. that's Those are my favorite types of apologies, mm-hmm. and I accept. Thank, Thank you. you so much. I know that you love those kinds of <laughs> <Yes>. apologies. <laughs> well, look, Adam, I wish you'd talk to him, but I think we still got a chance because he's going to be hanging around trying to get that Oscar gold. <laughs> so so yeah, yeah, at I, some point, we're going to get him. All right? So we have to take another break. We're talking you too. We are talking exclusively you too on this show. When we come back, we have a very special guest. We have director Lance Bangs is here. Let's bangs! And uh, he's going to be telling us stories about you two, and he's going to. We're just going to be talking you two exclusively on this show. Hey, is Lance Bangs going to be talking you two to me? <laughs> I believe he may. We have a very special guest. Um, I've known him for, I'm going to say, 14 years at this point. Um, He is a director uh, and uh, a producer, I imagine, and uh, a documentarian. And uh, he works in the arts, and that's all that's important to me. Um, I know that there really isn't anything as important to you, Scott. This is Scott talking. (laughs) Thanks, Scott. As... The arts. And that's one of the things I admire about you. The arts lift us up out of our humdrum doldrums. So anyway, yeah, huh? our guest is an esteemed member of the arts community. Yes, that is what I'm trying to say. He creates. Yes. He gives something to the world. He doesn't just take. He doesn't, he's not sitting there on the unemployment line saying, hey, uh, here we go. give me a handout. Here we go. You know, he's actually giving something for your hard-earned money, oh, and that should be applauded. Just don't talk about the flat tax that you think okay. our country should Okay, all right. Well, you know, I mean, it's a good idea. That's all I'm going to say about it. But anyway, um, uh, we'll talk about his credits when I introduce him. Lance Banks is here. Hello. Hello. Hey, Lance. Hello, Scott. Hello, Scott. Lance, I've known you for a good amount of time. I mentioned 14 years. We first got to know each other on the set of the Mr. Show movie, Run, Ronnie, Run, where you were – is this the accurate description of your job? You were hired to do the EPK? Was that sort of – Yeah, the, the idea was at that time period that – I'd come to some of the Mr. Show tapings and been around when they were doing the comedy here mm-hmm. in town when you were writing and appearing in some of the segments at Hollywood Center Studios when you were shooting there. The, oh, certainly, the I mean, TV yes. Show. Mm-hmm. And they knew that, like, the film needed to have, like, a little press kit thing where there's interviews with the talent that goes out to TV stations. And at that time, a local affiliate would have inserted themselves looking like they were interviewing David Cross and then cut back to the footage we shot to make it seem like he'd... It's a lot like that Byron Allen show that where he does that. That's yeah, right. They yeah. don't really do that anymore. No, but I think they? it's a dead format. But at that moment, like the studio still kind of thought they needed that content. And the guys were like kind of savvy enough to be like, look, why don't you come just document the whole thing, like hang out while we're writing and as we're figuring anything out and yeah. then just come to the shoot, it's going to happen in Georgia. And I was living in Athens, Georgia at the time. And, and we'll just take the budget from, like, the EPK thing and have you document the whole production and hang out and be around for everything. And you so, were going to do a lot of different stuff for the eventual DVD. Exactly, and, yeah. And then yeah. when the release of the film coming, you know, got delayed and delayed and delayed, and no one was really asking to get the footage back, we just sort of 
you know, cut some weird things out of it and then held on to the rest. Did you make a documentary out of it? I have cut a bunch of footage into like a, Oh, I would do you still have that. some? Oh, yeah, I would absolutely. love to see it. I yeah. mean, the only stuff that I've ever seen that you showed me was like the documentary, the short documentary you made about a resident of that town. Yep. Porterdale, um, Georgia. There was a guy that uh, had a whole collection of old hammers in his basement, and I <laughs> made the mistake of kind of befriending, like, like, hey, what are you doing there? And kind of came up and talked to the guy and like went down to a crawl space under a house in Porterdale, Georgia, where there was just all these antique hammers. The and I realized that they were like for when you when hammers. you like hit a cattle to to kill them, they were those kind of hammers. Whoa. And realized that like I hadn't let people know where I was going and right. <laughs> I was like really in a bad situation. I may never return. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Did you and you got footage of all of this? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. And the guy's Excellent. amazing, like his sort of, you know, speaking style and but interesting. You also got footage of just that movie kind of disintegrating. Correct. Yeah, there's way. a lot of footage afterwards once you get into the edit and you guys sort of like rewriting or reconceiving mm-hmm. things or what you know, could we do ADR here to sell that joke better or how do we speed up this like incredibly long crane shot that's mm-hmm. killing oh, the pace boy. of the humor? Were we ever so young? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But, but you and I had a particularly long conversation outside of a prison in Georgia. <laughs> yeah, I remember that prison. What was the conversation about? You just kind of opened up about your life and sort of like growing up and mm. where you did in California. And Well, you know, I've opened up quite a bit on this show, you talking you two to me. So listeners of that show will not be surprised to hear that I, you know, I open up sometimes. Scott's talked a lot about his life as a boy. As a young little boy, but I wanted to be a big boy. And here you are. Here I am. So, uh, but Lance, we should also talk about some of your other credits. We have uh, a lot of music videos. You have Know Your Onion by The Shins. Uh, You have Neighborhood 3, Power Out by Arcade Fire. Uh, 10 by 10 by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, uh, Menomina, I remember seeing your name on that, and uh, Declare Independence by Bjork, you were the cinematographer, not the director. Um, and uh, y- you also are seen a lot in the Jackass movies where you were wh- – what were you doing for them, cinematography? I was a or? camera operator for that. Um, mm-hmm. I shot a bit for the TV show, and then when they were going to make a film, the idea was that they weren't sure that people wanted to watch 90 minutes straight of setup bit set up bit over and over and mm-hmm. so Spike thought that if I shot kind of more documentary footage and personality of the guys as we're getting things built up or as they went wrong and what the aftermath was that might help connect it better mm-hmm. and then I think that when I would react badly to stunts that went gross or wrong they would always they would turn the tend to turn me. the camera on you they because you throw up <laughs> yes. because I remember a paper cut thing making you really sick yeah I passed right? out during that one but that wasn't it wasn't <laughs> oh, what it yeah, seemed like yeah that's right was that in part one that was in the first movie, yeah. yeah. Yeah, But it wasn't what it seemed like. It was a different scenario than what how it played. Oh, okay. Like, it was a really horrible motel room in Florida, like, hot, humid. It was Steve O's room that he'd been living in and, yeah. like, fucking up and making smell horrible for a week. <laughs> the windows were all, like, sealed shut. There was no air conditioning in the room. We had all these, like, super hot lights to kind of get enough of a light level to film. And the bit was that they had all these, like, uh, aquariums full of rubbing alcohol. The idea was to, like, deliberately get paper cuts and then dunk them into aquariums of rubbing alcohol. (laughs) And so the room had just kind of, like, we were, like, delayed in getting there to set up. And these hot lights were on forever. And, like, we had the wrong kind of, like, rubbing alcohol. And and so it it, smelled It smelled horrible. And, like, enough of the heat had made the rubbing alcohol evaporate into the air that you were breathing rubbing alcohol at that point. There was no, like, the air wasn't circulating. So you were breathing evaporated rubbing alcohol and we've been filming all day and it wasn't something where we had like union breaks after six hours to have a meal or whatever it's just like a van full of guys in their 20s running around and thinking of fucked up stuff to go do and then keeping shooting and because I was shooting constantly for all the documentary stuff I was never you know getting a break or going and sitting down when I wasn't in a bit or something and so when we got to set up that shoot 
I hadn't eaten and someone was like, <laughs> oh, like we should get Lance some food and they ordered like a pizza and it turned out to be like a Florida version of pizza where like there's a layer of pepperoni buried underneath, like hidden under the uh, cheese and I hadn't eaten meat since that since oh. this record had come out. And so Rich, like, since the Smith's record since came, since like, record like came the out. day it came out? As soon or, as I heard it, yeah. Like, it was as soon, like, yeah the I'm day you this. heard it, yeah, meat you is murder. Agreed. Absolutely. I just yeah. remember the, re, that coming out and I was like, oh, that's the worst song on this record. <laughs> I, I fell for it. I was like, you know, 12 years old or whatever and it really like connected so you're a young boy yeah. wanted to be a big boy <laughs> yes. but so uh, like I was like with a giant camera on my shoulder one hand like with a left hand sort of like eating slices of this pizza and feeling like god this tastes like way saltier than I remember pizza tasting and then like realize that like buried under a layer of cheese was this like Worst low-level Florida, yeah. you know. We all <laughs> know that the worst pepperoni in this country <laughs> yeah. is in Florida. Some good <laughs> pepperoni. I'd say Maine. Like Maine has terrific coast, pepperoni. You get some d- delicious pepperoni. And every once in a while when you're in Florida, you can find Maine pepperoni. Sure. Yeah. But not often and probably not at this pizza yeah. place. I think the Wyoming pepperoni is just the way they harvest it there is just – Very good. You know, they, they really do it right. They chop the chop off the, the, the legs the horses, of the cow right at the knee. Yeah. Exactly. So I tried to keep shooting and just had this giant, you know, camera. Right back on track. This is he is a professional. (laughs) He knows when to end a bit and just get right back on track with the story. That's why I like Lance. All right, go ahead. And then eventually just got overwhelmed from the fumes and started to turn green. And I was still shooting and then they I think Knoxville and everyone notices and is like Lance, Lance, look at Lance. Turn the mm-hmm. camera on him. Let's, and then I, let's watch. Yes. Let's get footage of this. And I think I vomited and passed out. Oh my god. Um you know, Lance and I met uh, I don't care. Uh, okay. Now you also <laughs> this is are the, the best story you'll ever hear though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Um Lance and I met uh just this evening. <laughs> wow. I'm kidding. We've known each other for years. Um, we should say you guys work together on the greatest yes, event in we, television we history. We direct the greatest event in television history together. Co-director. I imagine Lance does all the work and you just kind of show up every yes. once in a while. Okay, great. Um, we met uh, through music because I was wonderful. Uh, I was just a young boy. Uh, You're a young boy. You wanted to be a big boy. I wanted to be a big boy and I was doing a recurring role on a little show, not to brag, a little show called party of five okay Okay. party of five that's the one where you were the caterers and you were no that scott no party of five five caterers five ken marino jane lynch no this is 1998 nev campbell i think your years are a little off matthew fox lacey chabert ringing any bells uh ringing a couple of bells which My one? <laughs> not back then, not in those years. But <laughs> Does this ring in your balls? Is this ringing any balls for you? <laughs> so wait, you you were doing a bit part on Party of Five? I uh, assume it's a bit part. Excuse me, not a bit part, a recurring role as Josh Macon. Oh, Josh Macon, I love that guy. Actually, I don't know if... It was. I know the name was Josh. I don't know what the last name was. Making Whoopi. I hope. Yeah. You know, my love ball, interest. My balls were ringing. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was uh, doing this, and all of a sudden, I get the news that REM is going to come and do an episode of Party of Five. <gasps> and instead of getting bummed out that my favorite band was doing party now of five. doing party of five <laughs> i became I, I got really excited because i knew i was going to get to you know at least go and be there for whatever they were doing and what mm-hmm. they ended up doing is shooting 
a scene where they're playing on a stage when the at a concert where the characters are out in the audience. Mm-hmm. But before they shot that scene, they came and played like a full set for everybody. They did for the Party of Five crew. Yeah. They played for about an hour for everyone that was there. Do you Just, remember that? Yeah, and Chris Bilheimer would have been uh, there and meeting you most likely at that. Time yeah, but as well. you you were around yeah. as well. That's that's when I met you was in that yep. period of time. Uh, wow, I, you were Chris so Bilheimer, sure another before. dear friend of ours, uh-huh. um, worked for REM at the time, and so that's when I met Chris. Were you not there for the party? Of five I was there stuff? for a little bit of that, but then yeah. I feel like we started really talking more. Not at that, you know. Yeah, occasion or but something. then there were. There were we we would all go out for dr- we all yeah. went out for drinks like after the party of five taping and I feel like you were there oh, and the story yeah. Mark Williams <laughs> okay boy so anyway just because this is a, a podcast about um, music and about how music sort of affects our lives and well you too music and about how um, songs uh, fill the air. You know what? I was making fun of you, of you but you're yeah, thank you very you're much. Right. You're right. They do fill the air. Vibrations um, are all around us, and songs take up a lot of those vibrations. Thank you for um, saying it. Mm-hmm. Worse. Well, um, so you guys met. That's <laughs> that's, that's where, great. Where we met. All right. So and and you've you've kept up a long friendship because, as far as I'm concerned, that's uh, a long time. Yeah. Right. That's nigh on twenty years at this point. Right before you and I might have met. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. No, it was after because Mr. Show Movie was more like 97. <laughs> Wasn't it? <laughs> no, we filmed it in 2000. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. I, I, in fact, I watched the entire uh, – remember back in 2000 in November? Yes. There was an a uh, usurper to the throne, Al Gore, trying to snatch it away from our guy, oh, yeah. JWB. Jesus. And thankfully, I was watching all that from the hotel room going, Thank Al, God. go back to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> nice try, buddy. Yeah, maybe next time, bro. <laughs> so I was, yeah, I was watching that while we were filming. Oh, um, really? All of that was... Uh, Happening. happening, yeah. I, was, I I had a week where I didn't film anything. I was just sitting in my hotel room watching that. Going, why, ah! why weren't you filming anything? L- another long story, but uh, I was I production I, woes. I went out there ostensibly to uh, learn a, a lot more about uh, making a movie. And first take of first day, uh, I was told to go away <laughs> uh, <laughs> because you were the writer. Yes. And even though I had cleared, hey, do you mind if I just sort of like shadow you and watch, uh, you know, everything? Because I'm interested in directing. Go away. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so you guys, uh, uh, and then and then also, Lance, we should say you are the executive producer of Loiter Squad on the Adult Swim Network, which is the Odd Future show. You hang out with them. So a lot, you know, you're hanging out with a lot of uh, uh, interesting people, and you do a lot of interesting things, and chief among them is you too, and we're talking you too to you, Adam, on this You're talking show. you too to me? <laughs> yes, that's true. But we also, this is, and I haven't said this yet, this is the episode that deals with Rattle and Hum. Yeah, we're only an hour in, so. <laughs> <laughs> I should have mentioned that at the top. We're talking <laughs> Rattle and Hum all episode. <laughs> the entire time. The entire time we'll be talking Rattle and Hum. So uh, that's where we are chronologically. Uh, yeah. If you if you're just joining us, <laughs> rattling up. Now, did you two tell any stories about seeing them live yet? Because you would have most likely been 
First time I saw him live was uh, Josh. Uh, how do you pronounce it? Jo- jo- Joshua. Joshua Tree. Um, I told the story about s- uh, staying up all night to get tickets or ticks, as we say in the biz. Sure. Um, and that was up to Rattle and Hum. That was the only time I had seen them live. Yes. I didn't see them live until uh, Octune Baby. Okay. Great. And you, Lance, what are, what are your experiences with you two? When is the first time you ever heard them? I probably heard them most likely around the time of war, like maybe Sunday, Bloody Sunday, New Year's Sunday, Day. Sunday, Bloody been. Sunday. And was living in a military base in, in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, most likely when that one came out. Mm. Um, and would sort of ride a bike to a record store called Turtles and buy their you know 12 inches and, and records. And turtles. Why would it be called Turtles? Because like a 12-inch record sort of looks like the shell of a turtle? No, it's just sort of the color scheme of the record store. <laughs> mm, I like it. <laughs> it was green. Yeah. Mm. Green and, and yellow. And had a giant shell on top of it. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. The roof. Right. Well, I call them shells. Yeah. I mean, houses are a lot like turtles. And birdhouses are the turtles for birds. Right. Yep. Should we do that podcast uh, all about houses? All about houses. Let's talk about it. Okay, here we go. This is the first episode of All About Houses. Hey, we're here uh, all about houses. And I'm your host, Scott Ackerman. And uh, here's my boy, Wonder. Adam Scott. Hey, everybody. Uh, today we're just we're talking about foundations. Mm. How's your foundation, Scott? How's your foundation? Exactly. In another way of putting it, yes. You mentioned my name. How's your foundation? You know what? Metaphorically, not so good. But my actual house, amazing. This has been all about houses. I'm Adam Scott. This is Scott Ackerman. We'll see you next time on. All about about houses. houses. Great, great episode. That was not bad. It's really good. Hey, why didn't you join in on that? Lance, (laughs) don't you have a house? Lance is more of a fan of that podcast. Oh, okay. You just wanted to listen. I understand. So uh, you go to Turtles. Yeah. And so that would have been, you know, again... 1983 ish? Yeah. Four ish? 83 to four. So, War and then Unforgettable Fire. I was really fond of that, but was, you know, too young to, on my own, find a way to go see concerts or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then when um, the Joshua Tree is about to come out in the spring of 87, 87. Mm. um, got tickets and and went up to the Brendan Byrne Arena in New Jersey for the last couple shows of the spring version of that tour. You were no longer in the military base at that That, Well, we were in a different one in in Willingboro, New Jersey during that time. Okay. And so Philadelphia would have been closer, but like they didn't play that on the the first leg. They didn't play Philly, not until the fall. So you too went to the Brendan Byrne Arena and saw some of the shows. And what's really... so sorry, Lance? What's the problem, Scott? You got to play Philly on your first leg. Well, they got a, they got around to it on the second leg. Got around to what's it. What's the big D? Philly fans are the best fans in the world. You've always said that. I, Always. I played some wonderful shows there over the past couple of years. They are wonderful fans, and I don't like to hear about Philly fans being slighted. In 1987. I would say they're not just fans. They're fanatics. In But this is almost 20 years ago. I 1987. Maybe things were different 20 years ago in 1987. Yeah, they were. There were no big video screens out in the stadiums. You just had to go play. That's true. Maybe they didn't. They maybe they didn't have enough guitars for Philadelphia. That could that could be. Did, did you ever hear anything like that, Lance? Where they were like, "Hey, you two wants to play, but there aren't enough guitars." I think that's why they waited until the fall. Okay, 
Okay? Okay. Are you ready right. to apologize? I'm sated. I, wait. You know what? I apologize if you got offended. A little. Not for the content of what it's I like, said. It's like when I called you a cunt. Right. Yeah. It's you got similar. offended. Very similar. And you apologized if I got offended, and I happened to get offended, and I accepted that apology. But I did not apologize for what I said. No. Why would you? And that is your favorite kind of apology. Yes. I love it. So you saw them in New Jersey, you say? Yeah, like the Brennan Burn Arena up in the Meadowlands area, mm. essentially. And it was Good a great country. show, and they did that long intro where like Larry Mullen came out first, and for the beginning of Street 70, he was just like hitting that symbol. I don't remember it. So they would start the show, and like he just kind of came out alone and just like hit a symbol with an effect on it. Yeah, and then like let it, let it ring for a while before they would begin the sort of mm-hmm. the chords of the... Of which know, song? Landscape. Um, Streets Have No Name. Streets Have No Name. So yeah. he would come out and go... Yeah, and then everyone's like, ah, and it's still dark. And there's just like a little bit of light on him. So this is... Is this an arena or a This stadium? is an indoor arena, yeah. But they had there were no video screens, right? Not that I remember from that. Did they have enough guitars at this place? They did. Okay. And did they... How did they hold the arenas... At t- because watching from the sky down, a big major thing about... Which you a, said you were going to loan me and you did big, not. A big problem speaking of problems a big problem with um with uh with that tour was they grew in size as a band so exponentially so quickly that they couldn't quite handle entertaining these big crowds they didn't know how to they didn't have because they were used to what playing smaller places i guess Mm -hmm. they were talking specifically about stadiums with this that they didn't have it was before the days of video screen support as they call it it was but um, how would they entertain such a big crowd without all the effects? Well, this one was like an indoor arena, probably like fourteen to 18,000 people at most. You know. I think that's the type of place I saw them in where you could still yeah. sit like Staples, I guess. Smaller than Staples, Smaller than Staples, yeah, where you could still kind of, that's no matter where you were, I was pretty far away, but you could still see them. That's my favorite place to see you 2 is in a place this size, mm-hmm. other than seeing them. Uh, 30 feet away. Yeah. Yeah, with only 200 other people around playing a three-song set. Which I did. Yeah. No, I know you did that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I like... A mere five days ago. Sure. Yeah. Okay. But I I think they're they're at their best in the arena rather than a stadium. I've seen them in two stadiums, Rose Bowl and Coliseum. Not not my favorite shows. Yeah. I saw them at Dodger Stadium and Rose Bowl. Mm -hmm. Neither of my favorite shows... Although the Rose Bowl show, I thought there there was a, a, a some great things there. Mm-hmm. That, I, they designed that show perfectly for that size. Of you know a who place. I did see at Dodger Stadium that was really good were the Dodgers. <laughs> they hit a couple of home runs and a couple of singles and a couple of doubles. And Never they heard won, of them. They won the game, and it was really it was exciting to watch <laughs> in that stadium. Never heard of them. So Lance. You're, so you're you're there. It's Joshua Tree. How old of a man are you? Would you say at this point in time? It's 1987. You're yeah, it would have been 14, not yet 15. 14. Yeah. So amazing. You're a 14 year old. You're watching Joshua Tree. You're a big boy. And it, how did you feel watching this? It was great. And. I feel like around that time they were doing a little bit of Level Terrace Apart at the end of With or Without You. Like they they were. I don't remember this. Yeah, either. so it was like the song was on the radio and was a single that came out right before the record in mm-hmm. March, maybe. And then this would have been May that they were doing this show. So the people there were primarily people that had followed them on the previous records who bought tickets yeah. just knowing it was a new U2 tour coming up yeah. and not yet everyone that was like 
here yeah. over that summer, you know, still haven't found the them. The fraternities had Exactly. Joined. So it was, yeah, that was what was going on with them. So, you know, I was 14 and most of the people there were like college students or people in their early 20s who yeah. were wearing shirts from like the war tour or whatever. People like at that point still like making flags white and flags. Irish, flags. Irish flags yeah. and white sure, flags. Sure, are you and, still doing the bit <laughs> where you wave this around? Still expecting to get like pulled on stage to dance to Party Girl or something. Yeah. Right, like, right, right. And so that was sort of the vibe of the crowd, like a lot of like college girls and stuff. Yeah. Um, it was a great show. I think college maybe Lone Justice right? would have. I love we college a, girls. We should have another podcast about college girls. <laughs> you know what we should do is we should, on our next episode, get a bunch of co- college girls <laughs> yeah. in here. What are we doing? Can I, can I talk to you for a second over here, Adam? Sure, let's have a private yeah, conversation. Lance, hold on a second. What are we doing with Lance here? Why don't you know, we have college girls Lance coming is, in here? But okay, I know he's your old friend. Can, he's my old friend. But what the fuck? Can are we, we just say Lance is a terrific person? No, he no. has a, a depth of knowledge like, about music and American culture. Look, like he no, remembers no this other. this concert he went to at fourteen that I don't remember a single thing other than seeing Bono far away and kind of going. Bon, Bono fart away. <laughs> Bono fart. Yeah, he came out. He farted at the crowd. I don't remember That's an about insane it. thing for a rock star to do. Lance remembers everything about this night and the songs they played. I know. And but, it's great. But then he oh, said the two words. My two favorite words in the English language. College girls. College girls. And my mind exploded. <laughs> college girls. And I started thinking about college girls. Why are we doing this? And why, why am I doing anything? Let's just get college girls in here. They don't even have to have ever listened to you uh, Just college girls. Just, we'll talk to them and we'll see what they're interested in. We'll just talk to them for a while. I'm not kidding. Let's get a couple of let's, college The next girls. episode, let's not go to Achtung Baby at all. Let's just talk to college girls or about we, their lives. Or we talk about Achtung Baby, but While we have listen. a couple college girls in here telling us what they think. Sure. Because... It's gonna it's gonna be more interesting than anything that we Lance have to, has say, to say, or at least we can pretend like it is. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's a good plan. All right. End of private conversation. Okay. Hey, Lance. Hey, guys. What's up? Thanks for uh, being here. This is really fascinating. So they played a snippet of Levels Tear You Apart. I think. Yeah. I think around that time they're playing not not the In Excess <laughs> song. They were playing ended up like uh, a little part of Love. Yeah. Well, Level Tear Us Apart, uh-huh. the Joy Division song, mm-hmm. and they had like early on they had had Martin Hannett who produced all the Joy Division stuff. We had talked about that on a previous episode that I don't believe you heard, that no. they wanted him to produce Boy, and Martin Hannett was so despondent over the suicide of um, Ian Holm. John what F. is Kennedy. his name? John F. Kennedy. <laughs> you think John F. Kennedy committed suicide? Uh, he did not. That would be tough to do, my friend. I knew that that-, that I've that, heard of a magic bullet, but that would have to be really magic. I knew that that didn't happen. I'm, I was right. just kidding. But he was so despondent over the, the suicide of Ian Curtis that he did not produce that record. Instead, they got the master at the board, Steve Lillywhite. That's right. That's right. A little bit. Uh, by the way, this you're listening to you talking you two to me. The uh, comprehensive compendium of information about you two, and that's exactly what we're talking about when we talk about the th- things you're going to hear on this show. So. So, so uh, Martin Hannett. Why are you anyway, so yeah, like he did that single uh, before Boy. He did maybe like eleven out o'clock of control TikTok. or something. I think like it was eleven o'clock TikTok. Oh that he yeah, did. yeah. But he recorded it like they were in so early for that sound. Like it's not an affectation that they picked up afterwards when there was a legacy around Joy Division. Like they had him producing stuff while before Closer had come out, before Ian was dead. Like uh-huh. when it genuinely was like that was the band that they were. They were a band of people who had these sort of. Susie and the Banshees and Lou yeah. Reed and Velvet Underground. Sort I heard of something about Martin Hannett where he would record every piece of the drum kit separately 
and then he would construct it like he would layer it where they were supposed to be. Does that huh. make sense? So That's he would like about. Yeah. he would just have a guy doing the kick drum, and he just really? wanted to record that. And then he would put another layer of tape over that of the snare, and then every single. Why piece would of, he do that? I've do you think it. you would not have like overlap of uh, like the same frequencies ringing from the resonant air, uh-huh. like from the drum? So they could so, all be airtight separately. Correct. Yeah. Interesting. And so it and almost, then you also have probably more width on the tape to. You know, get each little element to, to play. How them. do you guys feel Boy would differ if he had pr- uh, produced it? Well, the trick th- is that he was kind of binging on a lot of drugs at that point of his uh-huh. work. And so he was kind of, there's other records he did that are not great from that time period. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was, you know, sort of in a haze or not at his best. So as, the, a reaction to, yeah, as a reaction to uh, John F. Kennedy's uh, suicide. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And the things about like Ian being maybe more internal. Like, Ian wasn't trying to project in this massive way that Bono seems to go for. Yeah. And so the more internal, thoughtful thing maybe matches Martin Hannett's production style better. Yeah. And I don't know if someone that was like, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Would have uh, worked in that setting Interesting. As well. hmm. All right. All right. Um, so you went to this first U2 concert. It Did it, like, blow your mind? Because you'd been you'd been a fan for a couple of years. You've been going to Turtles, picking up their twelve <laughs> yeah. inches. Was so this was were, this what you wanted it to be? It were, was like there were other bands that I love more that were more precious to me at that time. Who, that I was who, more who would with. be? I, we talked about Meet as Murder. Yep. So this is maybe before. No, I guess like yeah, The Smiths was already something that was going yeah. on, and REM at that time, and yeah. you know, Joy Division, and this is like uh, Life's Rich Pageant documentary. Yeah, era. exactly. Yeah. Um, and already it felt like Thanks, U2 Adam. was like playing to the back of the room in a larger, more yeah. grandiose way. And it felt like the lyric writing on that record had shifted from being specific to being more gentle. Like, what are the images that someone who only speaks Greek would know of America? Like, desert, sky, yes. river. Yes. Like these kind of very archetypical yeah. reference mm-hmm. points. And did you that, like that? No, I, I really did not connect with that. It felt like someone was kind of dumbing things down for... Uh, Swinging for like a broader audience, and you knew this to. watching them live. You didn't know Joshua Tree as an album yet. You were just no, I, yeah. The, the record was out at that oh, point, okay. but so it wasn't huge. Yet. It wasn't huge yet. Yeah. It was kind of building, and you know, it was maybe before the kind of like Time Magazine cover best rock. Band so, did thing. you feel like Joshua Tree was a, a direct stab at a wider audience, and you weren't into that? Well, I didn't mind because like there's still some tones and sounds on that record that are interesting. Like you know, with or without you is its own weird mood and feeling mm-hmm. that isn't like in a traditional way it's a weird first single it isn't is it? for sure i mean yeah. it's it's when you when you think of the massive hits of where the streets have no name and i still haven't found what i'm looking for it's it's to pick that as the single is a little out of a yeah choice. it's a much more like internal brooding Moody yeah piece yeah yeah and so that was what i was kind of responding to and that was on the radio before the record came out yeah. like oh this is like interesting but like it's you know desert flame all these kind of yeah yeah and yeah and that when you heard the whole album and it's like okay well they're deliberately going for this like Anton Corbine photo of the, yes. you know, that like this is the imagery they're dealing with. But it, it also felt like, well, Springsteen's already done the river. Like to hear these same themes getting thrown over and over. Isn't it kind of the same thing that the Killers did too, in a way of like, you know, although they were a little more spring, like more Springsteen y, but U2 was doing the same thing the Killers did in a way. Or Don't the you, <laughs> you know how the Killers are like, you know, they're like. Uh, well, I think everything U2 does is just kind of following the Killers. <laughs> yeah. But no, the Killers, even for their for their second record. Sam's Down. Sam's Down. They went for the, you know, the archetypical yes. desert driving. And they had Anton Corbin photos for that record and all that kind of stuff. So they were sort of like trying to do the same thing U2 did, which is like, hey, talk about America in yeah. general. 
in these kind of generalized That's why tones. all of the critics at the time were like, you're just trying to do what you two did, and mm-hmm. you're trying to make Born to Run. And yeah. But there are some great songs on that I album. Lo- hey, I love The Killers. I yeah, love their records. Uh, so, so you two... So, so you weren't quite on board with Joshua Tree. No, I, it's a great record to me at that time at age 14 and whatever. But I was at least conscious of like, oh, this is getting less weird or specific or there's nothing that goes into the crazy drum patterns from war. Yeah. There's nothing that goes as like one take. The drum patterns on war are pretty amazing. They're amazing, right? yeah. yeah. That and, we, the, you haven't heard our first episode. We talk about that. We, that is, in our opinion, their most consistent record. Right? We went through war track by track. Oh, wow. Having not really listened to it in a while – and we're kind of blown, blown away, away by, by how every track is good. And so that was the other weird thing. Like, you know, you have maybe the, you know, the rock drummer at that time who's willing to play to an arena and not be hiding themselves. They're like, oh, I'm going to just kind of sabotage this and do a, yeah. a weird, you know, th- someone that's like willing to play for a giant crowd at that kind of projected format, but make interesting patterns out of it. And with maybe the best rhythm section basis alongside yes. that to have that power and be like, oh, this one's just going to be like a tone poem soundscape instead and those guys will sit it out like those are, are weird tensions to like mm-hmm. go into and make work in a lot of the case yeah. and that you get things that are you know fourth of july or, or whatever that are these mm-hmm. nice little soundscapes that are actually like effective and yeah and work but then like they weren't really coming across live during the unforgettable fire tour it doesn't seem like and so now they were doing stuff that's more stripped down or ready to play yeah to a big space but it wasn't quite yet the time that they're doing the outdoor stadiums yeah right. how do you feel about the joshua tree now like I think it, it it holds up. There's like great stuff all the way throughout it, and that like trip through your wires or one tree hill or things that yeah. like, you know, you can still totally listen to now that aren't as like burnout. Yeah, me too. I, I that side too is just spectacular. We were talking about that in the last. Well, episode. we were talking about how if you if you took the first four songs off of it, you might want to listen to it a little more because yeah. like those first four songs are are so popular that it's like you can't hear it without. You can't really judge them as songs anymore. Yeah. They're standards. They're American standards in yeah. a way. And so But let's get to Rattle and Hum because we are this is the Rattle and Hum episode and we're talking <laughs> and a lot about it at this we point. We are one hour and twenty four <laughs> minutes <laughs> in. But uh uh Lance, tell tell us about Rattle and Hum and then and then tell us about how you first encountered the band personally on a personal Okay, level. I guess the first time I met them personally was like a brief thing. Like later that fall, they came back uh, to do like the North American tour fall version. And this that is was, when they this were This is huge. like 87. So and this yeah. is like... Did they play Philly? Magazine. They played Philly. They played JFK Stadium, which okay, is where the good. Eagles played at that time. Good, good, good. And it was a, it was like a, you know, one of the Are you early, all right, Scott? They had enough you know, guitars, everything. They, no, they, they didn't. The and so they brought fans. out Bruce Springsteen at the end to play guitar. Okay, good, good, good. But it was a like a horrible building that... No one really loved. It was just a giant thing. That whenever they first invented the idea of hey, American what if stadiums, we got a lot of people into one place? <laughs> exactly. So the urinals were just like the mass troughs that everyone's like standing oh, there. Yeah, love it. I love that. I love that. <laughs> you like peeing in that? I love peeing in there. I like just hanging out in there and smelling all the pee. You like to just uh, shake shake it off. I love that. But it was the first time that I saw people having sex. Like there was a couple that just started like. Really drunk, just started like fucking near the sound booth, like what? during, during really? the opening band. <laughs> yes, I love Who this. Was the opening band. I should look it up. I can't because like Lone Justice definitely did the show in in the spring, but I who? don't remember who did the uh, the JFK one. Who did you say first? Lone Justice was in the oh Lone the Justice, spring, Justice. Like, wow. which they did a uh, they did a duet with her on the Rattle and Hum sessions. Oh really? Yes, not released on the Rattle and Hum record, but it was released uh, on. Hold on, here we go. Fortunate Son came out on the Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses single. 
And that's a duet with her? <clears throat> that's a duet with Maria McKee, huh. Alone Justice. So it, it was actually Little Steven and the Disciples of Soul, Soul or, yeah, that opened up that show. Oh, oh. I saw them uh, at the Us Festival. We okay. talked a yeah. lot about the Us Festival in our first episode. Like 40 minutes. Please don't ask him any questions about the Us Festival. <laughs> he will just go off with every detail. <laughs> so this was like a weirder feeling because like this was a show where I was in like suburban New Jersey during high school and sort of a lot of like people that at the time I thought were just like confronting or pretending that they had mob ties, but like later on realized like, oh, they genuinely were the kids of uh-huh. oh, wow. mafiosi who were like uh-huh. in a Catholic school basically. And like, so this kid... Whatever. Like all these guys that had like whoever it was that had a I rock or car to give us. Is a this vibe a to person who will now have us killed if we talk <laughs> yeah, about him on the radio? <laughs> not what this did guy, you just not say? This guy in particular. <laughs> oh my god, Chris! But like people that own auto body shops for which there was no garage door to let cars in to get worked on, but sure. they were just like money laundering setups. Sure. Oh, nice. Um, and so. So you went to the YouTube so show now, with like all these like this. dudes that, like you know, I couldn't talk anyone to like going to see this. Like, what? Who? Like, who? You yeah. Know? And now it's like the summer's passed, and everyone's like, "Yeah, this is a rock show." Hey, yeah. <laughs> and so you too. <laughs> hey, you talking you too to me? That's what they were saying back then. Yeah. So there's this great kid, Brandon Kyler, that goes, and then like some other people, and we end up like all you know in in this area. So there's like people fucking kind of back in where it's still daylight. Which like, position are they in? They're standing somehow like with her skirt lifted up. And uh, which by the way you said the first time you've ever seen people <laughs> fucking like yeah. wh- when are the next times? What was, what was a repeat of this? <laughs> and so like I guess little Steven plays and <laughs> was he fucking anyone? No, no. Well he was, okay. Saw. Lance right. when was the second time you saw people <laughs> fucking in public? <laughs> I think it was in Slovenia. <laughs> During a Green Day tour, wow! Of course, we, let's have a separate show where you just yeah. talk about who you've seen fucking public. We'll just call it public fucking, <laughs> and then we'll get those college girls on, and we'll get the t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right, all right. So um, that show, I like people were just getting like trampled and squashed, and they had did not have any sort of a stage show or At the YouTube. Show. Yeah, this is like yeah. you know fall of '87. It, it is a thing where it's like a place that's meant for eighty-seven thousand people. Yeah, mm. and you know I'm sure the people in the back can't see, and it's all general mission on the floor and. Yeah. In a way that they kind of stopped doing after the Who concert, but now enough years had passed that it's like, eh, we can sell more yeah, tickets. Yeah, let's try and do yeah. this again. Yeah. So Ugh. it was a bummer, and like, uh, I got kind of like trampled <laughs> a bit, and Ugh. was also like at that time doing work for like uh, Greenpeace and Comedy in Salvador. So Comedian. you're you're 15 at this point. Yeah, at this point I turned 15, and you're doing work for Greenpeace, like tabling and, at concerts. It's not like right, I'm like right, working right. at their headquarters, but like you know, right. mailing out brochures and which, and which like you that. know what I was doing when I was 15. Yanking your own chain, <laughs> yeah, exclusively. <laughs> um, and I think that maybe you two had some kind of tabling going on with Amnesty International or Committee in Solidarity for the People of El Salvador, mm-hmm. one of those groups. And I got some kind of credential to, you know, go to some kind of meet and greet or sure. something like that. But wow. anyway, like I got kind of like stepped on or trampled a little bit, and I was pretty small at that point in mm-hmm. my life, and like got kind of passed over the barricade, and then like dumped over to the the area but then had this weird little credential thing and kind of popped over and like said hi briefly not that like we ever like talked or had any significant conversation or whatever Mm -hmm. but Bono had his arm in a sling like I think he'd fallen off of his stage and he used to climb up on the lights yeah all the time and so he had like an arm in a sling Hmm. and like but I somehow ended up with like his water bottle and it wasn't like a it was like back before they were like selling you know, so it was like a sports thing with a built-in right. thing with it, and like because I was like, it was before half, the watered bottle yeah. craze of the early nineties. <laughs> so well, it was I, weird, that like, happened in nineteen eighty 
nine, I believe, uh, a- a- April thirteenth, nineteen eighty nine. I remember that craze started. The, the yeah, water yeah, ball yeah. craze. Yeah, yeah. So this would be before. It's the like a weird, like athletic gear looking kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, and like, as I probably look like trampled or half dehydrated or whatever. And like, kind of, you know, had to leave and went back out. To did the, he hand it to you? Or no, did I might have grabbed steal it. it. Okay, <laughs> I might have grabbed it. So um, went uh, like I think it was like, hey, like you know, do you need a drink kind of thing? And then like kept it. And mm-hmm. so went back out to the crowd and kind of eventually found my friends is all pre-cell phone just like guessing where we'd kind of been before in relation to stuff and found my friends and like was like hey I've got Bono's water bottle and like nobody believes me (laughs) (laughs) you thought you'd finally be cool (laughs) yeah I thought I'd finally be cool which by the way when I saw when I was 13 I believe I, I saw Striper at Knott's Berry Farm wow the Christian heavy the metal Christian band. Christian heavy metal band. And they threw out their cup, their striped yellow and black attack cup. Mm-hmm. I caught it, and a guy paid me $20. And this is 1983 money. Damn. It paid me $20 for it. So you could have gotten a pretty penny for that if anyone had believed you. Yeah. You know what was going on in 1983? Were you yanking your own crank? No. I went to the Us Festival. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. So this is kind of when it feels like things are going off track or it's not whatever I was responding to, like listening to tapes of Unforgettable Fire War, that like things have kind of like exponentially blossomed or grown where it didn't feel like this. I didn't feel like a connection to everyone else that was there at that fucking Mm. in the stands or whatever this thing Mm -hmm. anymore. Where it's become bigger than than what you think the band is. Yeah. Like if the Smiths had broken that way. What would, you know, like if all of a sudden frater- frat guys were going to see the Smiths, that would yeah. be weird, wouldn't it? And that's that's a lot like what happened at the time. But they were deliberately going for it. Like it was clear that that was the trajectory that's that they wanted. That's what they wanted. wanted. And, yeah, yeah the sure. Smiths maybe they wanted everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So now uh, what is your next experience with the band? Probably. So they, they were filming that show. They shot footage in Philadelphia. And, and I was like interested in filmmaking at that time. And noticed that mm-hmm. like, you know, there were cameras and it was being shot for what looked like not just a video thing, but like these were like, you know, was this the Phil Janua, uh, yeah. Rattle and hum sessions. Yep. Okay. So they were shooting some footage of that, that I don't think made it into the film, but at the end of the show, Bruce Springsteen comes out and plays stand by me on guitar. And it's kind of an exciting. Jersey stand, stand by me. Sorry. Did Come Bruce Springsteen on, just baby. the room? Let's do the twist. <laughs> Chubby checker and the fat boys. Okay, so that was pretty good. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. So, so they continue to become like all over the radio hey, in that area. <laughs> hey, Bruce, what are you hey, doing? Hey, man, are you born to run? Now, Bruce, is it true that you work in your song titles to uh, uh, practically every com- conversation? You hey, get man, I'd love to answer you, but I'm too busy. Dancing in the dark. Okay, well, see, there you go. That's another song title. Why don't you just try and tell me, try and say something without saying one of your song titles? Like, what did you do this morning when you woke up? I had a 10th Avenue freeze uh, up, man. Well, there we go. All right. Anyway, okay, thanks, Bruce. Slam. He's gone. He had very light footsteps. <laughs> yeah, he's Springsteen. kind of mincing about. Uh, all right, so you you see cameras. Yeah, and so this is footage that it you know becomes revealed like they're making a film and it's Phil Drano. Yeah. And it's going to be this thing called Rattle and Helm that's coming out. And they put the soundtrack out in, before the film was out in theaters, I think. They did so, because I remember listening to the soundtrack as we were driving to the theater. Yeah. And this would have been the but fall. But it only came out like a couple of weeks before the movie or something yeah. like that. So they put out the single Desire, which is like an encouraging, like, okay, great. This is like an up-tempo 
rock song that's catchy. And That's right. We heard a little bit of it at the top, but let's hear a little bit from the song Desire by U2. This was a huge hit. This was a big hit, although I will say it was it's got this Bo Diddley drum pattern, which was it's not the U2 sound. You know what I mean? No, but it worked. It felt like they were whatever they were trying to do of like stepping into the shoes of things that preexisted in Americana. Mm-hmm. They were pulling this one off. Like this one worked and, and felt yes. like it's a great. It's a very very. It's, good it's a song. cross between a U two song and like a classic Americana song. And yeah. So it was an interesting choice, but yeah, it came out and it was yeah yeah encouraging. And so that one was exciting, and it, the idea that they, that they had the ambition to make this film, and you didn't know quite what it was going to be or what you're going to see in it, but knowing that like I'd seen movie cameras at the show I was at, and maybe yeah. you know we'll see ourselves in the crowd or whatever, and then go and see it, and it starts. With this really intense black and white, like swooping crane shot that comes in during that performance of Helter Skelter. At that point, I hated the Beatles. Like, I detested the idea of all adult (laughs) culture and everything that was kind of strangling the airwaves of, like, that was all that was being heard at that point. Like, because classic, there there was a real delineation between classic rock and alternative rock at that point. And so that was like what the dominant culture was. And it was hard to get away from that. And so the idea that now you two were like also, rather than like, we're here to play this new Joy Division song none of you have heard. It's like, we're doing the Beatles, you know? Yeah. So it was like, okay, great. But it was, a, it was a good version of a good song. It's Helter Skelter. Yeah, so Rattle and Hum comes out. It's like a year after they... It's, it came out in the fall of 88. So it's like a year and a half after they become the biggest band in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's interesting because... It's something that's happened a couple of times in U2's trajectory where... Jesus, how long is this guy going to talk? They, they, <laughs> they sort of become that thing that they were trying to avoid in the first place, right? Did he just end his sentence? <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say, man? <laughs> like opening an album with Helter Skelter... Well, let's talk about this. Yeah. A lot of people, they, 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 the fact that they didn't know that was going to be that that was going to be not, portable. not only open with Helter Skelter, but to say this is a song Charles Manson stole from the Beatles. We're stealing it back, right? Like we have the power to, to take, take it, it from back. the person who stole it from the Beatles. We are better than the Beatles by the transitive property. Someone was able to steal it from the Beatles. Well, we are more powerful than that person. Not only are we going, we're not going to even steal it and give it back to the Beatles. No, we're just hey, going to take it. That would be kind of cool if we were like, if they were like, hey, you know what? We ran into Charles Manson. We were able to like, we were talking to him and we were able to steal that song we back. We conned it out of we him. Conned it, but Beatles, this is your song. Please do with it what you will. No. <laughs> so, so I think that the, the, the a lot of people were probably feeling what you were feeling, Lance, which was just like, oh, Jesus, they're singing the Beatles? And and literally within two minutes of the film, while they're doing that song, Bono kind of leans down towards the camera. It's this like sweeping black and white crane. He's wearing one crucifix on his neck, no shirt, leather vest, which is like, ooh, like this isn't what I – Yeah, this know. isn't what I signed And then for. he holds another crucifix in front of himself Ugh. to the camera. So there's like the one on his chest and then another one in the foreground. And he's like just really like making sure you see like yeah. At the same this. time, to be fair, there were a lot of vampires in <laughs> rock 
crowds at the time and in rock and roll cameras. I mean, you you were almost in the Lost Boys, Adam. Right. Well, I was in the same town where they shot it. Yeah. And I so mean, I know a lot about vampires. So those vampires were playing like saxophones shirtless next to a bonfire. So maybe he was scared of that kind of thing. I yeah. don't know. Could be. But yeah, it's just not it's it's like all of a sudden it turned into this weird thing that that we didn't relate to anymore. I remember we were listening But Scott, is that how you felt when that movie came out? Not just the movie, the the record. If you look at the record, let's 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 take a look track by track at what happens. Helter Skelter, it's a Beatles song and he does that douchey stealing it back line. Okay, to open Which it. I'm willing to believe was more naivete than them actually saying I mean, it's something they'll never live down, but mm-hmm. what they say about it is, we were just trying to say something cool to get the crowd going. We're not saying that we're yeah. the Beatles or we're better, you know. If it was a riff, too, look, sometimes you riff or whatever, but you don't have to put it on the record. Also, right. I don't think Bono riffs as much as it seems like he riffs. He writes his riffs, in my opinion. You know, it's like when you see Elvis Costello, all of his stage patter is exactly the same every single time you see him, you know? He writes that stuff down. So I think that this was like a pre-planned thing that he thought was going to be cool of like, hey, Rolling Stone, talk about this for a while. I think that if you're saying that in front of, you know, 70,000 people a night and they go crazy every time, it's never going to occur to you that it's not an awesome thing you should open an album with. <laughs> right. You know? It's right. probably hard to get perspective at that point. Right. So you have you have this Beatles song. Uh, you have Van Diemen's Land next, which I don't know what the fuck they're thinking of. They're just singing it. Yeah. Van uh, Diemen's Land is a... I, I'm just going to say I really love Rattle and Hum, the album, oh and I and boy. I love the movie as well. Always have. Okay. Well, let's talk about the, let's talk about the things that are like sort of off-putting, okay? Because Van Diemen's Land that maybe doesn't belong in there. Desire is the Bo Diddley beat, but it still is kind of cool. Uh, All along the Watchtower, okay? That's a Bob Dylan song. Well, first Hawk Moon two sixty nine. Well, right? yeah, yeah I, I was skipping over the things that aren't offensive. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. All along the Watchtower, he's doing a, a Dylan song. I don't have a problem with that. I think that it sounded okay. Yeah. But still, and they're doing it's, more of like the Hendrix arrangement of it, and, and it's but it still is like okay, you've done the Beatles, now you're doing Hendrix, Dylan, then uh, you have uh, Angel of Harlem, which is he's done at Sun Studios. It's like hey, this is where Elvis did it, and they did a lot of that in the movie, like Elvis, you know, and talking about Elvis. And I love the stuff he does vocally near the end of that. I think that's I love a great that song. Yeah. I love Angel it. of Harlem is one of the great U two songs. It's one right? of the great. But I'm just saying what can be perceived as sure. Them anointing anointing themselves. Yes. Uh, You have Love Rescue Me, which is a duet with Bob Dylan. Yeah. Uh, You have When Love Comes to Town, which is a duet with B.B. King. I think that's an unfortunate song. That's an unfortunate song. You have God Part Two, which is a sequel to a John Lennon song. <laughs> that is that the worst out of every case against Rattle and Hum is solid. <laughs> I'm not saying that it's not. But then to top it all off, you have all of his stage patter in the live tracks, yeah. which is just like everything is about apartheid, as he yeah. says. Like he just the way he says apartheid. Knock it off, Bono. He's like, artist. He mentions Little Steven in the song. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is a song we wrote for Little Steven. Like, a little, let, this, this song a, was written in a hotel room in New York City. Yeah, like, who cares about New York City? I don't, I don't care where you wrote it. I don't care about that dude from The Sopranos. <laughs> like, why you wrote it. And then he says, apartheid. Yeah. 
Why? Yeah, they they th- this was a big mistake career-wise, I think, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, it killed them. It killed yeah. them. Did it kill them for you, Lance? I still like I politically responded to what they're doing. Like I was glad that like, you know, they're fuck, talking about these issues. Yeah, fuck Queen for going and playing Sun City. Fuck all these mm-hmm. Elton John whoever's going there and like raking in money for that yeah. structure. And so, you know, but it was unfortunate when he would take on the affectation of Nicaragua. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Nicaragua for the people of El Salvador. Like, put, uh, we talked about it on one of the last ones, like, put uh, El Salvador through your amplifier edge. Oh, so God. it was so great that he was raising those issues at a time that, like, it's the hard to argue traditional press issues. wasn't really covering them as well as they should have, and that, like, I had this thing going on where my dad was directly flying cargo planes of equipment into Ilopango Air Force Base in El Salvador. Like really. Like literally like that was the dynamic. What's Ilopango? It was like a uh, Air Force base that, that was there when, you know, under sort of the Reagan Bush era wow. when arms were okay. being brought down there. So And um, w- was this a disagreement with yeah, your dad about it? And <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fuck you, Dad, you <laughs> fly into Ilopango. That's not something you <laughs> so, it's not no. this typical Oh, um, you didn't dad. have that argument with your dad? <laughs> <laughs> Stop flying into Ilopango, Dad. <laughs> Fuck you. So um, knowing that they were like on the right side of these issues and coming over here and, and having a large American audience of people that weren't necessarily super informed but were maybe open to hearing this message. And I will say that they ushered in an era where where people cared about this kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. And so it's it's hard to say like you guys are doing the wrong thing because before then you had a lot of – I mean the 80s quite frankly were the me, me, me decade. Yeah. It was all about just greed is good. Mm-hmm. You know, goodness Gor- gracious, Gordon Gecko, greed balls of fire, Reaganomics trickle down, trickle yeah. down. How about trickle up with yeah. my middle finger? How about pissing down on the poor is more exactly. like what you should call it. I mean, Ronald Reagan was a great man and a visionary. And so the film, greatest president ever. <laughs> the film came out like early November of '88, right before the election on the 10th. I think the film was maybe in theaters on the Friday. Oh yeah, the let me take. Uh, take a look at that yeah the uh, the soundtrack released on 10th October 1988 oh so it was out for like a month before the movie yeah, looks, came out yeah looks like it uh, I'm looking for the uh, I feel like the movie was like a like the 4th or so and then the election would have been 8th or 10th maybe well I think Green came out yeah right uh, like on right election day before, yeah on election yeah. day yeah I got it here. The film came out on, in Ireland, the 27th of October. But yeah, the 4th of November uh, in the U.S., which would have been the Friday before the Tuesday. Yeah. So yeah, we have a momentous, and everyone knew George Bush was going to get elected at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it, a close election by any yeah, means. Yeah, did you have any hopes uh, at that point? that You it guys kind of hope that maybe those Dukakis. people are, are not going to turn up to vote and that the, the right people will, but like, it that wasn't never like happened. it was- He no. was destroyed. <laughs> he was, yeah. He Michael was, Dukakis. <laughs> So, you know, that was like a grim scenario going on on a larger mm-hmm. scale. But it felt like, why are they caving in and, and like trying to kiss the ring of the dominant baby boomer culture instead of saying like, now that we've got your attention, you need to check out Closer by Joy Division. You need to check out Unknown Pleasures. You need to give more of a chance to Susie and the Banshees. Like the guitar patterns on these songs are great. Instead, Th- instead it's like, they, they went the hey, other direction. All, all of you guys who love the classic rock in yeah. the 50s but and the Don't 60s. you think there's something legitimate about we're discovering American music, and th- th- this is a direction. No matter how, so th- whatever the result was, that's what they were into. I will tell you one thing. I have a theory about Rattle and Hum, and you, you like, 
You like the you like the record. Do, well, is this I your have... favorite record, by the way? Is this your favorite U two <laughs> no. record? Oh, okay. I no, thought you no, had no, hyped no. it at one point, like it might be. No, no, no. Oh no, I know which one. It my is. my thing about Rattle and Hum is, I got into I discovered U two at Joshua Tree, like after it had blown up. I that's... he was at Joshua Tree, uh, around the. Uh, I'm how not talking just, about U two. I'm just talking uh... about the plant. <laughs> yeah. So I just so. By the time Rattle and Hum came out, I was only into U2 or even really aware of them for a year. So I was like super into the Joshua Tree and discovering their older albums a little bit. The back catalog is what So Rattle and Hum was the first album of of theirs that came out while I was a fan. So I was primed and ready as a U2 fan for Mm -hmm. this thing to come out. And I was 14 or 15, so I was like – so ready and it comes out and the so no matter what it was i feel like i would have been you would have yeah. well that's deep it's sold it. so many records and they and on the wikipedia thing it says yes it's considered a flop or whatever but it sold it this many huge. records you sell a ton of records because of the last record yeah. that you yeah. i even wrote a letter to rolling stone because I objected so much to their review of it. They only gave it three stars. I wish they still had that rec- <laughs> that letter. Uh, um, wait, what was what was the argument in your letter? What did you say? That it's so, something about it being a kind of a f- I remember my dad helped me write it. A, <laughs> it was it, it's a f- Why didn't you bring your dad in on that poem <laughs> that you were supposed to write to that I remember girl? I I I, re- <laughs> I wrote the word fuck in it like like who fucking cares about them uh, uh, opening with a Beatles song or something? And I remember my dad being like, "Are you sure you want to put this in the letter to Rolling Stone?" I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, they print they, they print, print bad words. That's what's wow. so cool you about a, Rolling Stone. You had a cool dad." Um, but so I got really into the album, and then I remember when it came out, and every and it got bad reviews, and everyone was saying it was bullshit, and just being uh, kind of confused about it, and then the the movie came out and I thought the movie was the greatest thing. Really? Now I, I love it as kind of an excessive piece of eighties, mm. um, uh, nostalgia. Um, and I do like things about, I think they're like in God's country in the movie is totally amazing. It's great filmmaking. It's a great version of the song, mm-hmm. but like th- the gospel version of, did you just say gospel, no, the, <laughs> the gospel version of, uh, <laughs> Still were they gossiping while they were singing? <laughs> uh, that's a real because I feel like now it's such a you know having a gospel choir is such a it's a cliche. But oh at my the time, God. it, it was a huge deal. Here's, my here's, memory of that is that their vo- their performance is great vocally, but isn't there a guy that's conducting it who's like chewing gum? Totally, he's like, a total like <laughs> L.A. music guy. Oh really? He's like. Exactly. Yeah, it's all coked up. And so, like having heard the record when it first came out, I was like, "Oh, that's great!" When those voices kick in, and then when you see like what's really going yeah. on, like this, he's probably wearing like a blazer and a t-shirt. He's like one of Jimmy Iovine's underlings or <laughs> something. Oh, like sunglasses on, chewing yes. gum. I've only seen the movie once. Oh, I really? It. I saw it on opening night. My friends and I, um, we got into his yellow VW Bug, which sure. uh, uh, he used to drive us around in, and. Uh, I remember I was in the back seat, and I remember someone spit out the window, and it flew back into the back seat. (laughs) (laughs) But we were listening to the record on the way there, and we were making fun of the record um, because it had been out already at this point. So you were immediately over it. When this record came out, we – 
I was still kind of trying to process yeah. it. Like, no, it's still it's kind of yeah. it's kind of good. Like I, when Phantom Menace came out. Yeah. Oh my! I saw Phantom Menace twice the first day, and I was like, yeah, it's. I mean, it's yeah, pretty. Me it's pretty. It's pretty. You know, it's pretty good. I was still kind of like I was defending it. I remember to my friend, and they yeah. were making fun of of the Edge's voice on Van Diemen's Land. And they were making fun of some of the stuff he was saying. And I was kind of like, no, no, I mean, I still think it's – I was still probably six months away from writing off U2 forever, right. I thought. Right, And this is one of my favorite bands yeah. up to this point. And, and this is the record that made me just go, you know what? I just – I can't do it. I mean, not only this record, but the cumulative uh, of all of the fame and every interview, them kind of – as much as the issues were great, just like axe grinding, yes. it just became like it's not fun to listen to them anymore because yeah. like I can't just enjoy a song anymore. I have to hear about Nicaragua or something in the middle of it. They were know? just completely up their own ass at this point. That is, you know what? That is a great way to put it. <laughs> Thank you. But I have a I have a theory about this record. Okay, now I know you like this record, but here's my theory. You know, we've talked about about this on the show previously. After War, they put out Under a Blood Red Sky, EP, okay? Yeah. After uh, Unforgettable Fire, they put out uh, Wide Awake in America, EP, okay? Four songs, two B-sides, two live tracks, great. Yeah. If this had been an EP instead of a 72-minute record, yes. here – I think it would have you would have been like they're on fire they have continued a hot streak right. and then move on to their next yeah. stage. Yeah. Here is my here's what I would have done with this record. Okay? Side 1 Desire Angel of Harlem When Love Comes to Town No. Nope. All I want all I want is you. Okay, I know we have a problem with when love comes to town, but if but say it's just one song on it on side one all, of the need. By the way, all I want is you is a great song, great song, and I didn't give it any kind of a chance. By the way, uh, I just kind of wrote off that record, and then the weird the the weird part is, uh, you know, where I gave it another chance is your buddy from MIDI, Ben Stiller. Oh yeah, put it in reality bites. Real, reality reality bites is that what it's called? Reality th- bites. Yeah. Is the that what Ethan Hawke, yeah, is that isn't that song in reality? Yeah, Bites? yeah. Okay. I just for some reason I didn't think it was called reality. Sorry, I like, like jumped all that over that. All of a sudden I realized that's a stupid name for a movie. Reality <laughs> bites. <laughs> reality bites. That's is the that name movie? of the movie. That was really what it was called. Yeah. Yes. Oh boy. Okay. Well. <laughs> anyway, but no, I heard that in the closing credits. I was like, is that song on Rattle and Hum? And I went back and and released to it. That's a great song. But okay. Even swapping out when love comes to town for another thing, like I, I personally have a, uh, a, a soft spot for Heartland. I think that's a great song. But uh, what's what's your I've, favorite studio track this, that I didn't include? This is why it's good that we started this um, podcast. podcast because I also over the years have come up with my own versions of what Rattle and Hum should have been. Oh, okay. I'd love to hear your... Oh, can I finish mine? Yeah, okay, please. The, my version is the first. those four tracks on side one, studio tracks. Side two is All Along the Watchtower. Th- these are the live tracks. All Along the Watchtower. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Silver and Gold, Pride in the Name of Love. Uh-huh. Boom. You're done. It's an EP. It's viewed as an EP. You got a half half new tracks, half live tracks. Uh-huh. Hot streak continues. That's a that's a reasonable uh, track listing. I still think they would have been 
knocked for it. You think so? Even without the Helter Skelter, that's gone? Yes, I do. Because I think it was their time to be knocked down because they had, whether this album came out or not, they had kind of self-serious themselves into a corner. Okay. But I think also the movie really cemented it. Are you saying no movie? No movie, just... Well, maybe not. Maybe it just would have been a minor release, like this is what we've been up to Mm -hmm. while we've been on the road. Checking in with you too. They could have called it that. <laughs> but the thing is, without this whole implosion, without the excessive, the excessiveness of the movie and this giant uh, album that wasn't completely necessary, and culturally them being uh, decimated, they never would have gone away and come up with Rattle and Hum because it took a complete failure. Like Octoon this. Baby, do you mean? Uh, you yeah. said Rattle and Hum. Oh yeah, uh, like an Baby. idiot. Yeah, sorry. Um, what show are you on, man? You're supposed to be sorry the uh, premier authority on U2. I'm sorry. The, the television show I'm on, uh, U2 and Recreation, uh, doesn't <laughs> allow me the time to properly formulate my thoughts. So what is your perfect Rattle and Hum track list? I would go Van Diemen's Land. As track one? You're fucking high right now. This isn't necessarily in order of what I would do. These are just the songs I would include. Okay. Van Diemen's Land, Desire, Hawkmoon 269, which I think is a good song. Which, by the way, a little trivia. Co-written. By who? Oh, sorry. What were you going to (laughs) say? No one. Co-written by no one. Uh, The 269th mix of that song. That's why it's called... Hawk Moon 269. Wow, really? Everyone thought that was a joke that they just kind of said in an interview, and recently it has come out that, no, that was the truth. They mixed it 269 times. And wow. after the 268th mix, it still stayed at six and a half minutes long. They weren't like, let's try one where it's four <laughs> it minutes is, long. It's, yeah. it's six and a half minutes <laughs> long. yeah. Uh, Bob Dylan co-wrote that song. Oh, okay. He doesn't sing uncredited. Okay. Oh, it's not credited. It's not credited. He's credited as Love Rescue Me, but I think you may. It's not on the Wikipedia page that he co-wrote that, but I think there may be something to that rumor. Do you think it was one where he's like, "Yeah, maybe leave me off of this one"? No, I'm pretty sure he co-wrote that, and it's credited in the liner notes of the album. It might, or maybe they thank him. I don't know, but I will say that there is a uh, there is a version they uh, of Love Rescue Me with Bob Dylan singing lead that is out there. Oh, wow. That he requested they not put on the record because of his commitments to the traveling Wilburys. (laughs) (laughs) But speaking of which, like, did the version of um, She's a Mystery to me ever come out? That has never come out either. That is a song that they wrote uh, for Roy Orbison, or they they wrote it and Roy Orbison ended up uh, doing a version of, and that's a great song on Roy Orbison's uh, final studio yeah. record, I believe. Yeah. And uh, that version has never come out, no. I think it's on, after I'm done uh, telling you guys about my kick-ass um, new <laughs> track listing of Rattle and Hum, mm-hmm. I think I might have the U2 version of that. Really? Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Um, so I would keep Van Diemen's Land, Desire, Hawkmoon 269, All Along the Watchtower. Um, I don't think I would keep Freedom for My People. Which <laughs> oh, that's is a nice little transition. A recording of uh, a man singing that song in the street. Um, which, by the way, also putting it, uh, we, the other offensive thing is the Star Spangled Banner, putting in yes. like Jimi Hendrix's Star <laughs> Anyway, go ahead. Uh, I would not put on Silver and Gold. Uh, that's tight. 
yeah. This I think this is the best version of Pride. I love this version, and it's uh, we talked about it last time. It's my favorite U2 song. It, I listened to it again today. This version of this it? This version it's of great. it, and I was kind of like, you know, I just listened to Silver and Gold, the preceding track, and was bugged by him. It, he asked, am I bugging you? And I say, yes, you are bugging Yet me. Yet you kept it on your version of Rattle and Hum. Well, I keep it, yeah, I keep it on the iPod. Yeah, I was listening to the whole thing. Uh, and uh, that version of Pride is so good. No, but when you were talking about your new version of Rattle and Hum, you kept Silver and Gold. Yeah, you know what? I mean, I still think it would have been a success. Like, I, I feel like they wanted to put that on the record. Yeah. I would have allowed them that. Yeah. I think it's. I think they. it would have been a, a minor annoying part. I, I'm thinking of it not on my own personal thing. I'm thinking what they should have done. Oh, okay. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, I would keep Pride, uh, Angel of Harlem, probably track one, Angel of Harlem. Great, yeah, it's great song. such a definitive song. Love Rescue Me, I think, is a terrific song. Again, six and a half minutes. Yeah. <laughs> With Bob Dylan singing. I would leave off When Love Comes to Town and Heartland and God Part Two. Which at 14, by the way, I thought God Part 2 was incredible. Um, I would leave those off and I would, and then All I Want Is You and leave everything else off. Yeah. And that's like a full album. That's like a 10 That's song a full record. I, I still think there's some B-sides in there. I think yeah. Van Diemen's Land is a B-side. I think Hawk Moon might be a B-side. I think Van Diemen's Land could be like the second song on side two. And yeah. it's kind of a nice little palate cleanser. Yeah. I think Heartland, as much as I like it, and I think the melody is really good, it's it's probably a B-side too. I do too. I, I think it's a fine song. I just think it's production-wise, it's pretty boring. It should have it been. It reminds me of The Unforgettable Fire. It is yeah. from that era, isn't it? I think they started that track really? back then. Oh, yeah. but it, it feel it doesn't feel as interesting production wise as those actual songs from that era. It you feels like, like they were replicating. Jimmy Iovine finishing a Brian Eno landscape. Maybe, right, yeah. yeah. There's something about it that's a little that's the other flavorless. Thing. Get Eno involved on this record. Get, dump Iovine. Dump American Idol. Iovine. Get Eno back on this. Like did, he'd tell you, he'd, he'd shake you straight. Did Daniel Lanois produce that one track though? Uh, I have no idea. Huh. I don't have that information at my fingertips. I'm Let so me sorry. see if I have... Um, Lance, do you have any kind of a, a, a perfect track listing of, of uh, Rattle and Hum here? I think it sounds similar to what you guys are doing. I think that that idea of it being an EP like The Unforgettable Fire, the post Wide Awake in America one where it's mm-hmm. one or two live tracks and then some of these songs make sense. And certainly the, the songs you guys are including make sense to me. If they would have released that Roy Orbison song that they wrote, that would have been yeah. great. Do you want to know some uh, some of the other tracks that did not make it on this record? Yeah. We have uh, Hallelujah, Here She Comes, uh-huh. which is a B-side to like Desire. That one. That's like not that, a bad yeah. one. Uh, a Room at the Heartbreak Hotel, which was a B-side to Angel of Harlem. Um, their cover of Dancing Horses. Yeah. Um, which is pretty good. They played yeah. that on K-Rock a lot. So uh, that that was kind of a, a minor hit for them. And that was another thing that was a bummer, like knowing that they could have been giving attention Patty to Smith. Patty Smith yeah, at that and, point, but yeah, instead it's like, let's B.B. King. Oh, Dancing another... Barefoot, you mean? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what I said. I thought you said Dancing Horses. What did I say? Did I say Dancing Horses? I thought you said Dancing Barefoot. Yeah, okay. Dancing Horses, hey, even better. If they did an <laughs> Echo on the Bunny Man, <laughs> yeah. Man cover, I'd be on board for life. Uh, Unchained Melody, uh, Everlasting love, both of those, ever, both of those, uh, everlasting love, especially yeah. was yeah, a, really uh, good. That was really a hit. Um, that fortunate son with Maria McKee that I mentioned. I haven't um, heard that. She's a mystery to me. Um, this has not been released. Bruce Coburn's "If I Had a Rocket Launcher." They did a cover of that. Oh, hmm. that would have been not released. Can't help falling in love with you. 
uh, Bono did a solo version of that, but U2 did a version that's never been released. Uh, the cover of Woody Guthrie's Jesus Christ, which oh, yeah, ended up on, on the Folkways thing. thing, and their Christmas Baby, Please Come Home. I like that recording, too. Yeah. That has a good feeling to it. Yeah, so those were the the, se- the tracks that they did in these sessions that were left off. I do right. not have She's a Mystery to Me. I thought I did, but I yeah, guess that's I don't think never it's been, been released. Huh. Yeah. So um, could be a first time premiere on this podcast. Oh man, let's get Bono to let's get the t-shirts, guys. We're at two hours at this point. (laughs) We've barely talked about. We're really hitting the bloated over rattle and so (laughs) taking that down a notch. I I feel like (laughs) (laughs) we're showing them two hours and twenty minutes in. Do an EP, you two. Do an EP. Retroactively do an EP. I feel like Cody is yawning his ass off over here. I am so sorry, Cody. <laughs> I feel like Rattle and Hum holds a, pl- a special place in my little boy heart mm. because of what it was at the time. You are younger than I. Slightly. You're uh, you're four years younger, I believe we I'm talked about this. I'm 40 years old. I'm 43. Okay. Am I? Three, wait, what am I? Yeah, 43. Three years, three give years or take old. four or five years. But you were a... You were a little boy when little this boy. came out. I wanted to be a big boy. You wanted to be a big boy. I was a big boy. I graduated high school. This yep. was um, – I just started college. And, um, you know, to me, it just it, – it rang sour on my I ears. feel like if I was, like you guys, kind of into them previously and into War and Unforgettable Fire and Joshua Tree, I feel like I probably would have felt similarly. But mm-hmm. like I said – this was my new favorite band, and I was like, what the fuck is everyone talking about? These guys are mm-hmm. great. Um, and I do think the movie has a lot of cool stuff in it. Um, What's your favorite moment in the movie? I think the the performance of Pride is is really well shot. They really, Does that one go from black and white to color, or is it just color the whole thing? No, that's Bullet the Blue Sky oh, okay. at the end. Right. Um, Again, have not seen it in 25 years. I have, I have the Blu-ray at home. Are you ever going to loan me any of these things? You didn't bring the thing you said you were going to bring Well, last because show. I didn't finish watching it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What was that? Uh, I could from just the sky down, these, the Davis the Guggenheim thing. Um, I feel like we haven't... By the way, did you ever turn against it? Were you just completely on board until Octung Baby came out? I went through the... In, like, 92, I went through a thing where I was like... Uh, I want all classic rock out of my apartment, and I want only weird. I only want Sonic Youth and, mm. um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and sort of, uh, you know, I think I sold my copy of it to, to oh. use. Yeah. How how dare you start this podcast with me? <laughs> I know, I know. It's a, <laughs> a strike against us. I still kept mine. I just and I would dust it off every once in a while, yeah. but I I may not have d- actually gone that far. I know I sold like I had Doobie Brothers CDs and mm. stuff that I got rid of. I truly by 1990 would tell people that I was done with U2. Yeah, I would not listen to another U2 record. Right. So I w- at this point, this if we were in a movie at this point, this is that middle part of the movie where everything just falls apart. And yeah. I have a crisis of conscience. The end of Act Two. Yeah. Am I? What can I do? Should I give up? Should I forge ahead? Should I find the spirit within myself? We'll find out probably on our next episode what I did. But Lance, <laughs> where, where are you in this? What? Uh, where? Where did you leave off the rattle and hum? Where? Wh- I think it was a similar thing. Like I, you know, drove to a movie theater on the Friday night that it opened. 
took some so high school classes. So you were excited to see it. I was very excited it. to yeah. see it. And, you know, the record had been out for a bit at that point and sort of knew the songs and was a little bit worried about where they were headed, but thought, well, surely the movie will have more different stuff than the, the soundtrack. And and then within that first two minutes that they're doing Helter Skelter, and then he's like wearing the one crucifix and holding the second one yeah. into the camera, it's like, ooh, I, this isn't what I thought I was signing yeah. up for or whatever. No, not good. Yeah. Not good. So then were you done with you too? I feel no, like we barely... I just, I just, you know, listened to the previous records. <laughs> and you're like, hey, those are still good. <laughs> yeah, I can still listen great. to those. Yeah. I feel like we barely scratched the surface on your get, getting to meet them at yeah. all, but I maybe there aren't uh, there I, I, more to it. I guess like in a short thing, like over the years since that time, I went down to Athens, Georgia and was working quite a bit with REM. Mm-hmm. When you two would be on tours like from Zoo TV onwards, they would generally kind of meet up and... and hang out with the REM guys and we would go in in a group and sort of see the show and go talk to Willie Williams who designed a lot of the projections and, and visuals for their shows and Joe Hurley, the sound guy that ended up working with REM as well and they started kind of like sharing advice they're like you know what do you do as you're the largest band in your country or you know how do you contend with these changes or, or shifts or or you know draws upon yourself and so started socializing with them and you know going out drinking or going to meals or getting to know them a, a bit in those kind of contexts and then in the work that I did for, I directed a documentary for Anton Corbine uh, and started going and shooting interviews with the guys and, and then working with them a bit on, um, Bono produced a film that I uh, directed called The Lazarus Effect mm. about AIDS treatment in Africa. Mm. And so dealt with him during that process So he well. produ- he literally produced it like Correct, yeah. he was giving you notes and yeah. he was, wow, amazing. And how is, how is he at giving notes? Oh, they were all like, you know, he genuinely has put an incredible amount of work into on the ground relief effort mm-hmm. you know for quite a long time in different parts of Africa and really knows what he's talking about there and and how to kind of like work with the right people to get results and follow through on things and make sure that things don't kind of wither away or or fall apart and so his insight and in, and in sort of you know where to go and who to work with there was great and there's a woman that named Sheila Evans that was part of their management company that that kind of brought me there and and uh was really great at, at that whole process. Mm-hmm. And then when we, we did the premiere, that was um, at the Museum of Modern Art in New York, and Bono kind of came to the event and introduced wow. it. And wow. that was a big moment where my dad, who had been, you know, this Air Force pilot taking right. <laughs> stuff to El Salvador, like he came to that screening and, and in his mind, like seeing Bono like introduce me or whatever was this wow, weird bonding like... moment where he was like, okay, there's a justification for what my son's done or it's and you a know, justification like, so for what I had to do <laughs> in order to put food on the table for him right and so it was a you know it was a moment that sort of made that a bit easier wow that that's was great. terrific is, you, is your dad uh, still with us he is yeah he is fantastic has anything like that ever happened since then or has he just been like remember that that day Bono came out and talked about you why doesn't anything like that ever happen anymore now you're just hanging around the jackass and the loiter squad guys <laughs> Well, I saw you throw up in a jackass movie. <laughs> <laughs> Would you eat some of that Florida pepperoni? <laughs> so, were you breathing rubbing alcohol in the air of the hotel room? <laughs> so you've had you've you've gone from fan to coworker to dare I say friend <laughs> of the band, and boy, what a life! Yeah, you know what a life. And uh, how do you? How do you feel? I, I know we're just exclusively talking about Rattle and Hum. We kind of need to, to wrap up. But uh, how do you feel about the band now? Aside from just your personal relationships with them, how do you feel about the band's progression? Um, I admire their longevity, like the fact that they were playing shows in the late 70s and started with very much like a set of influences that I still love, the bands that they mm-hmm. were sounding like, interested into. And, 
and Joy Division and, and the weirder Talking Heads records of that time period mm-hmm. and and sort of the the choices they made when you look at the world that was around them of like the other bands that were putting out records in 83, 84 and the distinction between what they went for and what those other bands were doing, like mm-hmm. it becomes more apparent like the choices they were making and then the fact that they did in fact push themselves to reinvent their sound and take chances and They didn't have to work with Brian Eno no. on the Unforgettable Fire. They could have, uh, as they said, they could have become the who. Exactly. And so they, they made that choice and then found a way to make that work and then explored that in different directions. And it didn't feel like at that time that they were just chasing the next kind of hot thing necessarily of like we got to go do a Manchester sound. It's, but, not, what, it's not like Duran Duran like putting out a view to a kill with all those synthesizer hits that yeah. were so, sort of in vogue at the time, you know. So, like, you, so do you feel like even with War, they were aiming for longevity? Because War has ended up being incredible, very timeless. But do you think that's what they were aiming for at the time? I think that's a much more, a lot more practice went into that record. Like everyone's on point yeah. in those performances. Like yeah. those drum patterns are more ambitious and the the bass lines are locked in with those and like yeah. they're not just taking it easy and like churning out filler like there's a lot of thought and, and work and rehearsal into that recording yeah. and everyone's like at their at their best tightest and best for that thing. sure thing and there's like a like an earnest stridency to some of Bono's vocals and, and lyrics in that but you feel like he really means it and he's really generally upset about these things in a way that like a young man can be angry about what's going on in yeah. the world and and they were young men you yeah. know that's the thing yeah. that we talked about on previous episodes they when when he's making these cracks about the Beatles he's a 27 year old guy you know yeah. and 27 year old guys say stupid shit yeah. if you were know? a 27 year old guy and again had 70,000 people telling you you you're great every night you would probably do something stupid. You know, I only need one woman to tell me everything's great. I only need a gaggle of college girls to tell me I'm great. <laughs> Seriously, we got to do that next Get the episode. college girls in here. Girls over here. Well, Lance, uh, you've, you've been a great guest. I feel like you got shortchanged a little bit by us and us talking about the Golden Globes, the GGs. <laughs> but uh, is, I, is there anything else you wanted to add yeah. about YouTube? Anything before? that we, we left behind? <laughs> All that you can't leave behind. No, I'm excited to hear what they do next. I think the fact that they're working with a guy from Athens, Georgia on this new record is... This is Danger Mouse, yeah, right? Brian. Okay, great. And he's a friend of yours. Yeah. Brian, wow. Okay. How did you feel about their last couple of records, uh, Atomic Bomb and, and No Line on the Horizon? I didn't really connect with them that much, but I, I did take my son to go see them live, Like regardless of everything that's on the record. And I'm sure you've probably already made fun of the Catorce countdown that... No, we haven't, I, we haven't talked about this record at all. Harris made fun of that. I oh, like okay. it. Okay. Really? Have, yeah, yes. Right. Okay. Uno dos tres catorce. <laughs> yeah. We haven't talked yeah. about. I I I will not give my opinion until we talk about that <laughs> record enough. because I'm but a like, professional. I I took my son to go see them and uh, oh, and I'm an un, I'm unprofessional. <laughs> You're unprofessional because we have a structure. We have episodes we're supposed. I am to- adhering to that structure. I'm just giving a hint as to how I feel about. A, a terrific song of, of theirs. You know what? We don't need to get into this in front of Lance. We, uh, anyway, you took your son. And By the way, your son is rock royalty. We should mention that. Yeah, is he's that a fair, great guy. Fair to say? I yeah. mean, you're, is is it okay to say who you're, whom, to whom you're married? Sure. Uh, Corinne Tucker from uh, Slater Kenny. Slater? Is it Slater or Slater? Slater Kenny. Slater Kenny. Yeah. Slater. Slater Kenny. Slater Kenny or Slater Kenny. Okay, yeah, one, of, way. one of the great bands. <laughs> one of the great bands, and you're you are married to her. Yeah, and you have a son, and um, you know, is he going to be in a band? Do you think? Or I don't know. He's an interesting character. He's about to turn thirteen in a couple of weeks. Mm, so he's he wants to be a big boy. Yeah, yeah. He he's he's well on his way to being a big boy. <laughs> he really is. But I took I don't him know to why go I see. Said it like that. 
one of the last shows of the the previous tour, mm-hmm. and and I've always loved the stuff that Willie Williams does with the projections and the stage yeah. designs and the concepts that go into those, and um, and so it's just fun to go see that world and catch up with those people and be able to like, here's my son Marshall, and yeah. have him see what that feels like, and he hasn't certainly grown up knowing all the songs, and he's not quite mm-hmm. you know connected with everything, but like, what does he think of a U two music? Is it like because he's just getting out of like you know Disney radio? Well, he never imagine. was at Disney Radio, but he had, you know, he was into like Skrillex and yeah, yeah, and, yeah, you know, kind of more contemporary sounds. So does it, does it sound up. like grandpa music to him, or what? Does it on sound on like? some level, it might, but I think he was like being polite to you. Not just polite. I think he was connecting to some of it. And the thing that was great was at the end of the show, their friend that they'd written the song bad about happened to be oh, there, really? and he was had you know had issues over the years with addiction and mm-hmm. was still kind of like around and doing all right, and had come over to see the show. And so they decided, and it very, very much felt impromptu that like they had done their regular set list and kind of like convened in the middle of the stage and kind of talked it over and decided like to try and play bad, which they hadn't been doing regularly yeah, on the tour. Yeah, wow, okay. And went into it, and it was a performance where like they didn't have all of the sequence parts, you know, at mm-hmm. the ready, and they might not have remembered every transition, but it felt like a very genuine performance of it. And then they do that thing at the end where they start interpolating other songs and fragments right. of lyrics, which is, you know, it can be an affectation and maybe he does sort of like know that pattern that he's going to go into Satellite of Love or whatever. But like it it feels very convincing and genuine yeah. in the moment when it's happening, when all of a sudden you start shifting into another yeah. piece of music and it feels like maybe he's losing himself in the performance and, mm-hmm. and looked over and saw my son really connecting and that they also didn't have a pre-programmed like lighting or video effect to yeah. do for that song. And so it was just this sort of like beautiful glow of, of warm lighting. That's great. As it happened and it was like, okay, this is what I responded to when I was his age. And mm-hmm. yeah. just and the power of this. music and beautiful music. Well done. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is good rock and roll uh, music. This is quality rock and roll music. This is high quality rock and roll. High quality. Rock and roll <laughs> well, Lance, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks, and, man. Uh, uh, a great perspective on the band and great behind the scenes stuff. And uh, Adam, you got to step it up next time. That's all Sorry. I have to say. Uh, and uh, so that's going to be it for another week. And uh, you know, uh, that's. I think this has been a win. This has been in the win column. You know what I mean. I'm just going to say that this is a song that Charles Manson stole from the Beatles. <laughs> then you two stole it from Charles Manson. Me and I think it's time for us to steal it back. This is Scott Ackerman saying, I hope you found what you're looking for for another week. We'll see you next time on You Talking You Two to Me. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. This has been an Earwolf Media production. Executive producers Jeff Ulrich and Scott Ackerman. For more information, visit Earwolf.com. EarwolfRadio.com The Wolf Dead Hey Queeros, it's me, Cami Esposito, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast, Query. You can sit in on hour-long conversations between me, Cameron Esposito, and some of the brightest luminaries in the LGBTQ family. Query explores individual stories of identity, personality, and the shifting cultural matrix around gender, sexuality, and civil rights. Plus, it is fun. We have had some incredible guests. Uh, 
Emmy winner Lena Waithe? Yes, definitely. Congressman Mark Takano? You bet. L Word creator Eileen Shaken? Yes. President and CEO of Glad Sarah Kate Ellis? We definitely have. We've got celebs, people like Trixie Mattel, Evan Rachel Wood, Tegan and Sarah, the band, and the people separately on two different episodes. We also have activists and change makers in our community. I think it's a one-of-a-kind show full of chats you have never heard before. It's identity, it's community, it's query. You can find query every Monday on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.